Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-729-3887. That's 800-729-BETUS. BetUS for 125% bonuses with promo code JONES22. Customer service pros are ready to get your phone and social and online sports betting kickoff started now. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. You can also use the promo code JONES22 with crypto for a 200% bonus. That's BetUS.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report Time. We're Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. We are coming at you live from the World Center of Racing, Daytona International Speedway, the site of the great American race, the Daytona 500. We have an all-star lineup for you on today's show. We're going to be joined by David Starr, NASCAR Xfinity Series driver, also the co-host of the Let's Go Racing podcast on the Studio Soapbox Network. We're also going to chat with our old friend Adam Alexander of NASCAR on Fox. And we will pay a visit to another old friend of the show, Big Al Jerkins, as we stopped in Nashville on our way down to Daytona and I visited with Big Al, who's now doing radio for 1170 in Tulsa from Nashville. And um, also did a great job for years as sports director at a KJRH in Tulsa as well. So looking forward to that. A big show for you. We'll also have the football fix with Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor coming up later on, as well as our Big 12 breakdown and our top four story of the week. All that and more coming up here on the Jones Report this week. And Thomas Bridges is holding things down for us back home in Oklahoma while I'm enjoying the 70-degree weather and looking at the beach and Tom's, uh, you know, he's uh, he's hustling through some 30-degree uh, weather. But don't feel bad for Tom because his uh, Los Angeles Rams are Super Bowl champions, and he's on cloud nine right now. Tom, we watched the game together Sunday. Has it sunk in yet? How's it feel? Well, it feels great. Uh, you know, it's um... – you know, I, I knew that, you know, I, I tried to go back on the old show and I maybe we didn't, maybe we were off the record and I hope we weren't. Maybe it was a previous show that I said the Rams would get seven sacks. They ended up with seven sacks. Uh, you know, if Sean McVay ends up listening, call me, you know, I'll forecast and do some prediction and, and you know, we can make this work. Um, you know, I know there's with, with a Super Bowl win, there'll be people leaving for what they think is greener pastures. So I'm available. Uh, mentally, I'm I'm in the 70 degree weather on the beach after that Super Bowl win. Yeah, man, what a game that was! We're gonna break it down in uh, just a moment. We'll also, have mo- more with uh, Coach Bo coming up in just a bit. But Tom, uh, just an exciting time right now between the Super Bowl win for your team. I'm out here in Daytona having a good time. Had a good few days in uh, Nashville as well, just being out on the road. And uh, we got some exciting stuff to announce in the next couple days uh, on my end of a a big change of sorts. So, I mean, uh, a a lot to look forward to as uh, we 
are really still beginning 2022. And I would say that we're, uh, we're rolling right now, Tom. We are, it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, already middle of February, you know, past the middle of February. And while it's a short month, we're already rolling almost two months into the year. I mean, it's going pretty quickly. We got to get you out to Daytona one of these days, Tom. I mean, I know. This... I've missed it too many times and I wanted to go, you know, I'm actually moving here soon, not anywhere else than Tulsa, but just within the, within the realms of Tulsa. So I'm prepping up for a move in a couple of weeks and, you know, work is pretty busy right now. So I wanted to go, you know, and, and, you know, last night I went to Spurs Thunder game. I had bought tickets to that prior. Um, some actually some pretty good seats close enough that I could get DeJounte Murray and Greg Popovich's attention pretty easily. Um, so I did go to that last night, but yeah, I'm going to have to get out to Daytona. You know, even Nolan's been there. Right. Uh, so I feel like it's only right that I would I would end up going one of these days. Yeah, you got to come out to Daytona. You won't regret it. It's a great time. It's beautiful out here. It's like snowing 10 inches back in Kansas City. And we're just living life here in Daytona. And, you know, living on the road, essentially, like I've been the last few days, you know, driving to Nashville, then driving down here, putting miles on my car. But I love it. You know, I went to my first NHL game in Nashville earlier this week, went with some friends, called the Predators play the Capitals, got to see one of the all-time greats in Ovechkin, and he scored two goals. So that was cool uh, to see. You know, I didn't have any rooting interest one way or the other, but that was awesome. Tom, you know, I, I haven't been a big hockey guy. You know, I'll watch some playoff hockey here and there, but my first NHL experience in person, it was a success. I loved it. I can't wait to go again. I, that's that's the only league I don't think I've been to a game in is the uh, NHL, uh, and they always look like a lot of fun. I'm you know I claim the Dallas Stars, but I'm telling you if if Oklahoma ever got a hockey team, I think I would be a huge fan. I've always wanted to go, just never had the opportunity or taken yeah. that opportunity, I suppose. Yeah, it was fun. I had a great time, and being in Nashville on Valentine's Day. You know, I, I I didn't have anybody I was seeing or anything, but but Tom, uh, I I think I saw my fair share of of uh, you know very very sad women uh, on uh, on Monday nights, uh, you know, drowning their sorrows of sorts. It, it was a good night to be people watching. Yeah, I mean, especially in Nashville, you can't beat it there. It's funny though you say that because Nashville is now like a town known for its bachelorette parties. Yes. Uh, Supposedly, that's where the new spot to go is. Um, and I'm, I'm, I doubt you ran into any on, on a Monday, but I actually uh, did because it was Valentine's Day. There, there was some, there was bachelorette parties. There you go. Yeah. Um, you know, it's probably cheaper during the week to do that anyway. Um, but yeah, that is, you know, it's turned into the uh, city of bachelor and bachelorette parties. So, you know, I don't, I don't know when you and I will ever get married uh, yeah. at this point. Might be a minute. You know, but dad always says don't get married and have kids. And so far I'm, I'm living that advice. So, uh, you know, maybe we need like a, a party to celebrate that we don't have. Uh, we're not married or no kids. I don't that know. Sounds good to me. Right? You know, I'm going for it. This week here in Studio Soapbox, that we're referring to this as the best week ever because, you know, we started out in Nashville to begin the week. We're down here in Daytona. It's me. 
It's David, who you'll hear from in a bit. Dominic's down here. Um, you know, we're representing and we're having a great time. And this is the first time ever uh, in our network that we've sent two shows on the road. You know, last year, David was here in Daytona. I didn't go. Um, you know, I've been here a couple times years previously, but this is the first time we've had two shows represent. And so uh, this is a big week, uh, not only to kick off the NASCAR season, but for us here at the network, uh, our best week ever, as we call it, with uh, this show going on. And we're going to have live shows uh, after the dual races on Thursday night with the Let's Go Racing show, myself and David. And then Saturday, we'll do another show after the Xfinity race, myself, David and Dominic. So uh, definitely keep an eye out on that, Tom. And uh, the folks, they're, they're in for a treat of what we have, what we're going to bring them here the next few days. Yeah, that is. And, and I'm excited for you guys. I know you guys will have a good time down there. And, uh, you know, you'll in, in your shenanigans or what have you that, that goes on, you just have to either have to take a shot for me or you got to pour one out. Yeah, definitely take one for you. You know, it's to give an idea for the folks at home. You know, we do the Summer of Jones every year, right? This is like the Summer of Jones, but smashed into just one week. Right, there you go. I mean, yeah, you've you've been everywhere in that car. You know, we've been north, south. You know, the only place you – well, I'm trying to think the last time you went west. Um, uh, but, it was the yeah. Phoenix this summer. I guess that's true, yeah. Um, you know, in this trip, I guess you went north, south, and east, so – yeah, uh, you're covering you're covering a lot of ground. I need to get like an oil change sponsor of some sorts, like th this show presented by Valvoline. Yeah, I'm trying to. Um, I you know we, we could probably gear up and get one from Take Five where you stay in your car. Yes, I think that would be the one. Perfect. I love the it. Uh, what's what's oh the Quick Lane. You know the, they have the they sponsor the bowl. Yeah. You know, we'll do like a quick lane, quick two-minute breakdown on, I don't know, a game of the week. Your quick lane game of the week. Here's your two-minute quick lane breakdown. I don't know. We could do something. Oh, uh, uh, one more note on the road before we talk Super Bowl, Tom. So, you know, you, you gave me a hard time the other day for going to come and go instead of quick trip. Um. I saw a gas station that I'd never heard of that was even a worse name than come and go, by the way. I haven't told you this. You're, you're about to, hit to hear this for the first time. I kid you not, it was called Hit It and Quit. Hit It and Quit or yes. Quit? Hit It and Quit. Really? Did you go in? I did not. I just saw it as I was driving by. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is even worse than come and go. What state was this in? This was in Georgia. I think on the way back through, I think you got to hit it and quit. <laughs> I think that's I think that's the you know if, if you want to talk about on assignment, that's my assignment for you. <laughs> I can do that. I can pull in there real fast. Yeah, you got to just get you know, yeah, come and go at the hit it and quit. <laughs> I've never heard of that gas station. I hadn't either. <laughs> Is it a chain or did you just see one? I just saw one. Mm. That's interesting. I'm looking it up right now. Hey, you'll do your ops research on that and we'll report back later. So, 
on that note, the Super Bowl, the Rams are the Super Bowl champions. How are we supposed to go on with the rest of this show now? The Rams after defeating the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday, 23 to 20. The Super Bowl MVP was Cooper Cup. And you know, you, you looked at this game, the Rams came out with a, a good start. And you know, the Bengals hung around. What we said from the beginning of this game before it started was that if the Bengals were going to have a chance, they couldn't get down early like they did in that Chiefs game. Expect to come back from, you know, 10 plus down twice. That just wasn't realistic. And they hung in with the Rams throughout that first half. Bengals take the lead to start the second half. The Rams offense really hit a lull when they were without Odell Beckham. But then you go to the fourth quarter, and the Rams, when push came to shove, really stepped up in the moment, both offensively and defensively, with the pressure that the Rams' defense was able to get, and then the offense making plays with Cup, catching everything that was uh, going his way. I mean, that's what this is all about. To me, if, if I had to sum up this Super Bowl – for the Rams was that, you know, what we what we talk about in these big games, big-time players make big-time plays and big-time moments. And for this Rams team, the moment was not too big. They did what they needed to defensively. They did what they needed to offensively when it mattered most. You can talk about officiating. And, you know, there's, there's things that are worth mentioning. You have to start, though – with the Jamar Chase face mask that wasn't called in that first half. Yes, there was, you know, a, a, a PI that should have should not have been called against the Bengals late in the game, but you can't mention that without mentioning what happened in the first half either. So I get that you can go that route. You can say that the Bengals, uh, you know, didn't, you know, have things go their way on that end, but you, you have to mention what happened at the beginning too. So officiating wasn't great, although they let him play for most of the game, didn't let him play towards the end. But at the end, this was about what the Rams did on both sides. Matt Stafford made a couple mistakes, but he still played through those mistakes, and that's what great players do. So for me, I loved it. Great win for the Rams all around and just finding ways to step up. I mean, that was – a, a clutch performance from this team in, in every way. That's how I look back on this game, Tom. Yeah, it was. And, and you know, at, at first, you know, this first Stafford interception was you could essentially call it a punt. Uh, I don't I look down on that. You know, he's taking a shot at the end zone, uh, trying to get the big play. It was the third and long anyway. You know, the second one, that's uh, probably on Ben Skoranek. For not, you know, you put your hands on the ball, you got to catch it, or you got to make a defensive play as a wide receiver to make sure that ball doesn't go in the air. Um, all things else considered, you know, Matthew Stafford, that last fourth quarter, uh, what a drive, you know. They, you know, complete a fourth and one on an end around to Cooper Cup. Uh, you know, you could argue if they don't get that, sure, they had three timeouts, but that would have given Bengals good field position. Um, probably at the Rams 45 yard line, um, you know, and then the defense uh, stepped up and was huge uh, in the fourth quarter, not letting, you know, not letting anything go by them. They somewhat, for some reason, choose to run with P Ryan instead of Mixon. And uh, that call made no sense to me. Right. And then the next call, they, they scramble around and, 
you know, I did see some screenshots that if Burrow would have had a little bit more time, uh, Jamar Chase had Jalen Ramsey beat deep. Uh, probably would have been a touchdown, honestly. <clears throat> so, you know, you look at that and, and you know, what if, you know, P. Ryan was in on the fourth down too. Um, and, and Burrow still somehow almost makes that pass, but Aaron Donald gets through and makes the play to, secure, you know, secure the win. I thought it was good on on both sides of the ball uh, for the Rams. I think they tried to run it too much, which, you know, they were committed to trying to get the run game going to maybe open up the pass. I don't know how much how many running yards he get, but I don't think it was over 50, to be honest. Um, but, you know, no fumbles on the ground. Uh, surprisingly, the Rams didn't get a turnover. They didn't win the turnover battle uh, or even get close, but still managed to come away, uh, you know, with this Super Bowl victory in their own stadium, in their own city. Uh, it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, last year Brady was the first to do it, win a Super Bowl in the in the team's home stadium, and it had never been done. And then the next year you followed up with the Rams doing the same. So, if we go on this path, you can just go ahead and put your bets down for 2020, uh, the 2023 Super Bowl for the Cardinals to uh, go ahead and win that in Glendale. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see if Kyler Murray actually wants to be a part of that, though. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's very true. That's a whole other story. But you look back at this game, you know, the Rams only had 43 rushing yards. Um, the Bengals, they weren't great running the ball either, but – they had 79 rushing yards. You mentioned the Rams losing the turnover battle, two turnovers. The Bengals didn't turn the ball over at all. I mean, you know, these statistics, they tell you the Rams should not have won this game is what the statistics say, but that's when the numbers are lying in that the Rams were too much for this Bengals team. Eventually that talent was just too much to overcome. I don't even think McVay coached that great of a game, to be honest. I don't think he put his players in the best position, especially after Odell went down, how long they took to adjust. I put that on McVay. I thought Zach Taylor coached a better game, but at the end of the day, the Rams, their talent overcame their head coach in this case. I like Sean McVay. I think he's one of the best in the league, but they didn't win because of Sean McVay. They won because of the talent on the field. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I didn't – there were some questionable calls that I – you know, I mean, you saw me cussing carrying on at the play calling. Uh, you know, we, we compared it to conservative Mike Gundy call um, a lot of the time. Like, a, a lot of it, like running on the third and long. It's like, okay, I mean, you know, granted they trusted the defense, and the defense you could say won in the game just as much as the offense did. There's an argument – uh, that you could make for Aaron Donald for Super Bowl MVP. Uh, he was dominant all game. Um, he didn't, you know, he, he didn't pull out any pull out any of the punches. He did what he needed to do and, and essentially got what could have, should have, would have been the game-ending sack um, had Burrow not somehow released that football. Um, so, you know, you, you mentioned the talent. I, I would like to see in a, in a different universe where the Rams and Odell Beckham does not get hurt. Uh, because before that, he had, I think, two or three catches and a touchdown, um, probably for like 60, 70 yards total. Uh, he was looking really good. And they were, you know, keen in on Cup, but that was freeing up Odell. <coughs> Excuse me. And as soon as Odell went down, you're right, the Rams took forever to adjust. 
And so I'd like to see it again. You know, you can't obviously run that back and Odell ended up having a torn ACL um, that he'll have to rehab and might not be back till middle of the season. Well, um, what, was, next- what was so odd to me too, when Odell went down was there was such a reaction of, Oh my God, what are the Rams going to do now without Odell? Cooper cup was still there. He was still playing. I mean, you still had, you know, at the running back spots, you still had Akers, you still had Henderson and, and Michelle, you know, um, uh, Jefferson was still there. Uh, you know, Hopkins was still there. I mean, there were other options. It amazes me, you know, Cup played so well and he was the Super Bowl MVP and, you know, had those two touchdowns and was so great down the stretch that the Rams, I think, were at a point when Odell went down, they were shaking up a little bit. Like, what do we do? And then when push came to shove, when it mattered, they said, oh, wait, yeah, we have maybe the best receiver in football. It, it just surprised me they took that long to think, oh, wait, he's still right there. <laughs> yeah, it did. it did feel like it took forever for that, and, and they still try to commit to the run game. Uh, I didn't feel like pushed it to cup enough until, you know, obviously the fourth quarter, then it was all – it was cup 30. Um, so, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, they still had Jefferson, but you know, they had Henderson lined up on, on the outside as a receiver, most of the game and, and Michelle didn't see a whole lot. I didn't feel like a whole lot of time. They were trying to force it to Cam Akers. Uh, Hopkins is actually the third string tied in. So Higby was out and then the Mizzou, uh, the Mizzou guy, Kendall Blanton, who had such a, a pretty two big games I mean he had a touchdown in the Tampa Bay game and then was pretty big in the 49ers game after Higby went down he ended up straining his shoulder had a shoulder injury Um, you know on the other side of the football you had Eric Weddle who got injured I think in the second quarter Uh, turns out he played all game with a torn peck um, and still managed to play a hell of a game I thought especially at his age uh, yeah. So you mentioned the talent level, and I, I think you're right. Eventually, you know, the the talent will will come to light, and and McVeigh didn't coach that good of a game. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at look at the Bengals side, for example. Okay, you know, Joe Burrow, you know, second year in the league, um, you know, first career start in the Super Bowl. What we've seen when these young guys have to play in the Super Bowl. You know, they're, they're not going out there and looking like Superman, that they are you know, going to be, you know, the, the moment is a little big for these guys there. So you weren't going to ask Joe Burrow to play, you know, like, you know, like Joe Montana in a Super Bowl here. You know, that's just just wasn't realistic, not a realistic ask. But that's what it was going to take if they were going to win this game was he was going to need to be Montana. I don't think the Bengals – Tom, did Joe Burrow any favors in this case? You're talking about, you know, he was 22 of 33, 263 yards and a touchdown, no picks, but sacked seven times. I don't think, I don't blame Joe Burrow for not having a great game because he didn't get the help that he needed to. His offensive line was terrible, like they've been all year long. The run game was okay, you know, only 79 rushing yards. To me, that's not on Joe Burrow. There was a a lot of mistakes the Bengals made, play calling being one of those with you mentioned, you know, the you know, the the runs with P Ryan there towards the end of the game. I don't put any of that on Joe Burrow. Joe didn't play great, but that's not Joe Burrow's fault. He, he was kind of let down. He wasn't put in a position to play his best and succeed here. 
No, he wasn't. You know, you mentioned the the line; they didn't do him any favors. I mean, it was it was all rough um, uh, for him the whole time. I mean, he was running all night. Uh, at that point, you know what what do you do? Uh, you know, when Von Miller's getting after you, and there's not a whole lot you can do at that point. Um, and so <clears throat> he was running all night, trying to force, and not necessarily force things, but. You know, I, I in a world, if you could think without Jamar Chase and that chemistry that they've built up, uh, where, you know, where would they be? Uh, because the Rams definitely tried to make it as tough on Burrow all night as they could. Still, he still didn't throw a pick. And, right. You know, man, it was because they sacked him seven times and didn't give him a chance to throw on when they got back to him, but right. uh, I still thought he played a solid game overall. You know, he's still super young. I think the Bengals will be back. I, I think, you know, you mentioned Zach Taylor, you know, had a, a pretty good game in terms of calls, and I think they have the staff there, and I, I think they'll get him a, a, an offensive line, at least I'd hope. Uh, and, and then, you know, watch out. Maybe the Bengals are up there, um, you know, kind of a surprise team uh, to watch out for. You know, when I look at this Rams team and, and their championship, for me, what's so fascinating is the fact that this team went totally against the grain. They did what we've been told for years that you're not supposed to do in the National Football League. We have been told that super teams just don't work, that you can't win through free agency and through trades, that you got to build through the draft. doesn't matter if you're a large market team or not. But the Rams said, no, we're going to do it our way. And Stan Kroenke had a vision. When he was in St. Louis, he said, we're going to get out to a a big market. We're going to build this greatest stadium on the planet. And we're going to spend what it takes to win. And we're going to hire great coaches like Sean McVay and these others and, and just do it our way. And Stan Kroenke deserves a lot of credit for what he did to have the vision from when they were in St. Louis to get to this point. This is not something, although, you know, it it looks like, you know, that, you know, whether it was getting wet at the last minute or Von Miller, some of these things they put together to strengthen their roster, this has been building for a long time. I don't know how sustainable it is with not having draft capital and then being in, you know, some salary cap question marks in the future, but, credit where credit's due, to be aggressive, to make that move for Stafford, to do the things they did, to bring in Odell. Um, You know, I I think that this was a unique story to see the Rams win this title and do it in the fashion they did, Tom. Yeah, and and, and you know where I'm going with this in in terms of you mentioned Stan Kroenke, and you know how I feel about Kroenke. And and a lot of Rams feel the same. And, you know, he did have the vision to get him to the larger market. To be honest, I think it was more so about money. Um, I mean, you're, I, I you're not getting those free agents in LA. That's just not ha- in, in St. Oh, Louis, rather. That's not happening. I mean, we're very, that's very true. Uh, I mean, you can, you can do that. You can say the same thing about the Lakers and, you know, about, you can even say Brooklyn, you know, the Brooklyn Nets, you can, you know, that's just how it goes. But uh, I, I think where a lot of the credit should lie, you know, you mentioned Kroenke, people mentioned McVeigh. I really think if I had to put my money down on who has, who, who deserves who's the mastermind behind all this. I think it's less need. Um, I really do. Uh, in, in terms of being the GM and what he's been able to do. I mean, hell you sent that picture earlier where he was wearing a shirt that said, fuck them picks. 
you know, and, and sure, it might be funny if, if it works out now and the Rams are back to mediocrity later, uh, which, you know, hell, it could happen. You know, every team goes through up and downs and the Rams had enough downs to, to deserve this Super Bowl and maybe even the last one against Brady. Um, but, you know, all things considered, I would probably have to give it to less need just from everything I've heard. Uh, you know, obviously following this team essentially religiously. Uh, Les Snead has been the mastermind. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you know, credit to Kroenke, too, for, for getting him there and, and, you know, with all the money that, that can be made and building, you know, building that massive, awesome stadium. You've been in it. I've still yet to be in it, but that's that's on the docket sometime soon. Um, so, you know, Les Snead, I, I think they can continue on with what they've got going to a certain extent. It'll be interesting to see how they follow up a Super Bowl win. What kind of team are the Rams next year? You know, who leaves, who stays? Um, very interested to see how that's going to go. Well, and, and um, here's the thing, too. You know what the I would, Super Bowl hangover is. I would add to all this, all those points you just made were great. But what I think back to, Tom, you know, in 2015, when the Kansas City Royals won the World Series, um, you know, I was covering that team and they're in, in, in the Kansas City market. And they gave up a lot just for that run. You know, I mean, bringing in guys like Ben Zobris and Johnny Cueto and spending money that we had never seen the Royals spend before and haven't spent since. But they were doing that with the intentions of we're going all in to win this world title right now for this moment. And the moves that the Rams made, maybe they sacrificed some of their future. Maybe it's going to hurt them in the long term, maybe even – just very, very short from now. Who knows? That's all possible. But what you can't trade is the world title. Now that you've gotten that, now that you've won that, um, it's all worth it. You might, you know, take some punches down the road of some sorts, but it's a whole different feeling when you've won that title and done that. Ask Oklahoma City fans about going all in and coming away with nothing and how that feels. Um you know, this this is a much better situation. The Rams are now with with house money, essentially, now that they've gotten this title here out of the way. It's it's all worth it. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, it, it's a long time coming. You, you went through so many years after the greatest show on turf in St. Louis and were trash. Whether, you know, and, and call me a conspiracy theory, I – well, I'll, I'll give credit to Stan Kroenke for running the team in the ground on purpose to get them to make the move easier. You know, it's he owns the team. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, I don't know that the, the St. Louis Rams would be in the position that they are now, even without Kroenke running the team in the ground, just because you mentioned the free agency and, and just the money and, you know, new stadium having a Super Bowl, being able to, host the Super Bowl and win that Super Bowl in your own stadium. Uh, so I don't know that they're in the position without those bad years. Uh, does it make those bad years a little bit more worth it? You know, now it makes me feel vindicated as a fan. I'm sure I'm not the only one. So, you know, you get you mentioned it. You get the monkey off your back. Even if, you know, you sacrifice years of the future, uh, you know, you can't take away the world title, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. Um, before we uh, get to our great guest lineup today with David Starr, Adam Alexander, 
and Big Al. I do want to take some time and set the scene for the Daytona 500 that's coming up uh, this weekend that we're broadcasting this show from here in uh, Daytona Beach, Florida. And uh, wow, what a weekend it is as the next-gen car makes its official debut. We saw it at the Coliseum in that ex- exhibition, the Bush Clash, and that was a lot of fun. But, you know, this is Daytona, baby. There's something different. You know, this place is special, right? You know, every year, you know, the, the non-sports fans are, are, or the non-NASCAR fans, rather, are watching this race. And, and we know that it's history and all the great finishes that they've had over the years. And, you know, you start out with qualifying and then – the dual races and, you know, in the weekend on Sunday with 500 miles around that two and a half mile track. And you're going to see a lot of crashes and, you know, you know, a lot of excitement. These guys are not going to take their foot off the gas, literally the entire race, you know, going to be going 200 miles the entire time. I mean, it is going to be electric and it's going to be exciting. And, you know, with, with this new car, the thing that we keep hearing is that it's the great equalizer that uh, these lower budget teams now have a chance to compete, that they're getting the same parts and pieces as some of these bigger teams. And so what, what I was looking at is, you know, the, the guys like Hendrick Motorsports, you know, the Chase Elliott's, you know, Kyle Larson's, you know, th- those guys are still going to be running up front. And they're still going to be winning a lot of races and such. But what this does now, as far as leveling the playing field goes, is, okay, what about, like, let's say a Tyler Reddick at RCR, who's been really good, who's been on the cups of winning, but hasn't quite maybe had the equipment. Now, all of a sudden, he's running almost equal to those Hendrick guys. He's got a shot. Um, You know, Brad Keselowski going over to Roush, and, you know, now he's an owner over at Roush at RFK Racing. He's got a chance to really elevate that team and get them on that upper echelon, that upper pedestal. So that's what this does is Daytona has always been pretty even as far as a chance where anybody can win this. You know, it's a, it's a wide open event. But now you factor in this card, too. Uh, I, I would tell you, folks, uh, I don't know what my expectations are Sunday. Expect the unexpected because – Literally, this is going to be a shootout. Anybody can win this thing. That's how uh, how big this is. I mean, we've seen some great underdogs in the past. Michael McDowell winning last year, Trevor Bain years past. But now with what we know with this car and Daytona's history, I'm expecting the show. It's going to be competitive from start to finish, I think, on Sunday, Tom. Yeah, and then, you know, <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it. I think it will be too. And you. You mentioned the great equalizer in terms of that. Uh, you know. And if that's the case, they. They say that I'll be excited to see. You know. I, I'm not glued to my TV every NASCAR race, but I do follow it in terms of who's doing what. Uh, if they say if if it is if it ends up like they say it is, uh, then I think it's going to make NASCAR that much better. Uh, you know. I. I. I you make you know <clears throat> make it make some put some more parity in it it's not the same guys competing every single year because i mean let's be honest you know you, you mentioned the lower budget people sure they're racing you know to see who can you know ideally they know they're not going to get first but it's like ooh, can we get a top 20 finish right um right so 
now if it's the great equalizer, I'm interested to see one of these lower budget guys pop off. You know, if if that's the case, let's you know let's see some guy who, who routinely finishes 23rd, 24th. You know, let's see him make some noise. Right. Uh, I think that's going to be. I think that's great for the sport. You know, because sure, you know, if you're a fan of a racer, and you know, most most people, unless you have a tie to somebody, you're going to be a, a fan. If you're just a normal NASCAR fan, you're going to be uh, you're going to be rooting for somebody that's on the higher budget who has a chance to win. The the Denny Hamlins, the Kyle Bushes, the Max Larsons. You know, you're going to be one of those fans. I think it'll be interesting to grow the sport for the other drivers who are on the lower budget or who are not in that upper echelon now. Right. Those, those people start winning some races and you, you, you get a whole, it changes it. It'll be, right. it, it'd be great for it. I mean, think about this. So this playoff format, you know, 16 drivers make the playoffs in NASCAR. And if you win a race at any point in the season and you run every race, you're going to be in the playoff. Uh, no questions asked. You win one of those first 26 races and you are in. And so that changes everything. You know, if if a team that, you know, take example, a newer team like Bubba Wallace with uh, 2311 Racing, Michael Jordan's team, um, you know, Kirk Bush and such, you know, those guys, you know, they're still developing their programs. They're still trying to figure stuff out. You know, they have money, but, you know, they don't have the – the data necessarily like these other teams do, but if they get a win, then all of a sudden the pressure is off. Now it's like, okay, now we get to experiment and figure out what works for us and we can go make a run at a championship here. I mean, you know, it's, I don't think it's uh, out of question that every playoff spot potentially could be occupied by a winner. I mean, in years past, we've had like 12 or 13 different race winners, and then the highest guys in points get the other playoff spots. But with this new car and with this parity we're being told we're going to have, um, who knows? I, I wouldn't rule it out, Tom, the possibility of having 16 different race winners in that 26-race regular season. Here. See, that would be – that. I, I think, you know, if you're a – if you don't necessarily have a favorite driver or – you just want to see the sport grow. I think you are rooting for this. Uh, it makes it more interesting. It makes it way more entertaining. Hell, it's better for television. Uh, you know, some my people will be like, well, screw TV. We want it how we want it. And, you know, I feel like NASCAR, <clears throat> quote me if I'm wrong, they've they've been an agent of change or they're trying to to grow the sport. Oh, the schedule the is a whole lot different this year compared to it was three years ago. Right. So, I mean, they are making the correct changes or how I see the, I call them correct changes. Some people might not call it like that. Uh, you know, they might be, you know, keep it the same way as it's always been the same. Praise hell, praise Dale. Right. Like that. You know, it, it better be the same way. We better be getting the same product. We know, you know, Back in my I, day. I, think, I, I like what NASCAR has been able to do in terms of, of being not necessarily radical and change, but being willing to take a chance, um, and and it's it's only grown the sport, uh, yeah. and I, I think that's great. Oh, I do too. I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and and uh, so here's my goals for this weekend, Tom. You know, my, my plan going in to this weekend at Daytona. So I know Pitbull is going to be here, um, and I think there's a good chance Michael Jordan's going to be here too. Um, 
I want to see if I can meet those guys and grab a picture. I, I think there's a good chance I can make Pitbull. MJ is going to be a little bit tougher, but if I can meet those guys and get a quick picture or something, um, then uh, we'll have a successful weekend. That's my goal is is uh, try to meet as many of these uh, celebs as we can and and uh, add to the best week ever. Right. Is Dave Portnoy slated to be there? He was there a couple of years ago. I don't know if Dave's going to be here or not. I already have the Instagram caption in mind if I meet Pitbull. You, you ready for this, Tom? It's something to do with Mr. Worldwide. It has to be. It would be me and Pitbull in the picture, and the caption would say, uh, Mr. Worldwide and Pitbull. It's pretty solid. <laughs> so that's what I think I'm going for. Knowing you, I believe you'll probably find him. You know, we're recording this on a Thursday. Uh, you know, from the crazy shit I've seen from you, you'll probably meet him, you know, I don't know, three hours after we get done talking. Right, and get pulled away from security afterwards. Yeah, yeah. probably, yeah. That would be my still find still find some way to make it back to the track the next day. Right. That would be my luck. Right. Always. And some way, some juncture around here, always find a way to work. Um, As far as uh, Sunday's race goes, any, uh, any predictions, you know, the the Hendrick cars were fast qualifying. Um, You know, I'm leaning towards uh, the fan favorite. I think this is going to be Chase Elliott's day. Um, I think that Hendrick's going to perform well and, and, you know, yes, there is more parity like we've talked about, but Hendrick cars at Daytona are always going to be fast, you know, track house and some of these other teams, colleague have shown some speed, they'll compete, but they're still the New York Yankees of NASCAR. They're still the guys to beat. Chase Elliott is a hell of a plate racer. I think of those Hendrick drivers. He's the best on these restricted plate tracks. I'm going to ride with Chase. I think Chase gets it done and brings home his first Daytona 500 title. And this this town's going to go crazy, and we're going to be partying all night long. So uh, no complaints from me if Chase Elliott's your Daytona 500 winner. What do you think is going to happen Sunday, Tom? Jones, I'm going to – I like that pick, and I would, you know, I would almost say the same thing. But just for the sake of being different, I will go with Denny Hamlin. Okay. He's won it three go. times before. He, he's done this a few times. Right. I, I like him. I like him to do it again. And then I think that's when you'll meet Michael Jordan. I think you'll go to victory lane. And I, I think that's where you get your MJ picture. Okay. Well, that's my tradition. the Gibbs crew has tradition when they win the Daytona 500, any of their Gibbs drivers, then everybody goes to stake and shake after the race and everyone's invited. So um, I would not be opposed to a Gibbs driver like Denny winning on uh, on Sunday. That'd be fun. Get some uh, get a free meal, steak and shake. I wouldn't be opposed. Right, you've done it before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd I'd be down for that. You know, it's funny, Tom. When we came to Daytona over the years, you know, I was hoping to meet, you know, like okay, Jeff Gordon or something, you know, and and I love Jeff. Jeff's my favorite driver of all time. You know, probably my favorite athlete ever. But, you know, now we're just shooting higher. Why not Pitbull? Why not Michael Jordan at this point, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, we've, we've, we've grown out of the, you know, let's meet your, your, your NASCAR drivers. Now we're going for, the t- going for the top tier. 
right? We've we've moved on past our just moving on stage of our lives. To the east side, you know, or that's that's the only way. I I think you I I know for a fact if I had to put money down, if there was bets placed, I'd say you're meeting Pitbull for sure. The pre-race uh, concert is Luke Combs. Luke would be cool with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that wouldn't be too bad. That would be. Uh, you know, no hate on Luke Combs. That would be a nice, uh, you know, consolation prize if you don't get the if you don't find Michael Jordan. <laughs> I'd argue right now he's the best artist in country music right now. Uh, for like the pop pop type country, yeah, I'd probably say so. Uh, I mean, he's he's right up there. He's putting out bangers. Charles Woodson is the Grand Marshal. Gonna meet Charles Woodson too. I'd like to meet Charles Woodson. That wouldn't be bad. Maybe we can strike the Heisman pose together. That would be pretty cool. That would be the, that would even be a cooler picture than the pit bull one. Doing the pose with Charles, you know? Yeah. Gosh, I bet he he's been asked that a few times. I mean, you probably don't even have to ask him. He, but that's probably just automatic at this point, right? Probably just immediately strikes and he's like, "All right, let's hurry and get this over with." <laughs> Oh, man. Well, we got a whole lot to get to on uh, today's Jones Report. Coming up next, a great trifecta of interviews. David Starr, Adam Alexander, Big Al Jerkins. We'll bring you those coming up later on. We'll have the football fix as Coach Bo joins us. And we'll also have our Big 12 basketball breakdown and the Town Fullery story of the week as well. All that and more. Stay with us here on the Jones Report. Joining us now, the Jones Report this week, live from Daytona Beach, Florida, at the Daytona International Speedway. He's been a regular on this show over the years, and now uh, we have the rare opportunity to meet up in person. We've been doing this about a decade now. Adam Alexander's back on the show. Adam, welcome uh, to the show again, and uh, good to see you in the flesh. I, well, it's great to be with you, and I was just thinking, the first time we connected, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was the fall of 2013, when I started doing some college football, maybe summer of 2013. I think it was even before that. Was it really yeah. before that? Yeah. So it's been, I know at least for me, it's been at least nine years. Yeah. Uh, so it's great to be with you and good to be here in person and uh, glad to be back at Daytona. Yeah. And uh, how long have you been coming out to Daytona now? I made my first trip to Daytona with MRN Radio in 2002. I, I started working for MRN at the end of 2000, did a couple of truck races, then worked for them in 2001. I did a few cup races, but did not work here at Daytona. And then in 2002, I started doing the majority of our cup races and started with the Daytona 500 in 2002 when Ward Burton won the race. And uh, now, all these years later, what's kind of the memories that come to mind of over the years, some of the best uh, times you've had here? I would say that first one, you know, you never forget that first time. And, and being here in 2002 and experiencing you know all that the Daytona 500 is and, and the popularity at that time of the sport was was outstanding and you were seeing a lot of growth and, and so to be in the middle of that and experience that firsthand was, was great so I'll never forget 02. I remember being here in 2003 when Michael Waltrip won and and that was a neat experience because Michael was local to me when I worked in local sports in Evansville yeah. and and he was a guy that I covered when he would come home and that kind of thing and so to be here and to interview Michael after he had won the Daytona 500, it was it was a rain shortened race, and, and you know that was his first win in the Daytona 500 
after 01 and everything that happened with losing Earnhardt and not truly getting to celebrate in the moment. And so I'll never forget 03. And then the other one I would say I remember is coming here in the summer of 2010 when I was working for TNT and the first time I had called play-by-play here uh, on the TV side, and, and that was a special experience for me too. I didn't know that about you and Waltrip. Uh, now you guys are colleagues working together all these years later. It is pretty amazing, and I've got pictures dating back to the 90s of, of Michael and Daryl and I at local sporting events when they would come back to a golf tournament or a fundraiser or whatever uh, from, you know, like I said, you know, almost 30 years ago because they were legends at that time coming home, and, yeah. and part of our deal as, as local broadcasters was to interview them at the various events that they would attend. So that was really, really cool then. And to think how it's come full circle, I, I worked, when Daryl worked his last race with NASCAR on Fox at Sonoma, yeah. I was on the pre-race with him, and we had Stevie on, his wife and his family was there. And so to experience that and to share the moments I've shared now with Michael and knowing what happened all those years ago, that's pretty cool to, to see it come all the way around. It is. And so now entering 2022, already had the clash at the Coliseum. What excites you about this a new season ahead? The new car is going to be good, and, and I really believe it's going to level the playing field. I think we saw some of that in California, and, and, and I think that will continue to balance out uh, as the year goes on. There's no doubt someone will, will find the sweet spot and gain an advantage. But I, I think across the board, the competition will be tighter, which is a, a good thing with the new car. Uh, a lot of guys in new places this year, and I'm curious to see how they react. And, and the two that really come to mind, Brad Keselowski, a champion who obviously now is in an ownership and, and driver role with Roush Fenway Keselowski, RFK, and then also Kurt Busch going to 2311. I've always been amazed at how Kurt can win no matter where he goes in a new situation. And you think about his days at Roush and Penske and getting Furniture Road to the playoffs, uh, what he did at Stewart Haas winning the Daytona 500 with SHR, and, and then, of course, going to Chip Ganassi where he won multiple times, and now uh, with 2311. It's been fun to watch the evolution of his career and now this stop driving for Michael Jordan and what he can do with what is fairly a, a new team. I think that'll be a fun storyline to watch. And, and the last thing for me is the Hendrick domination a year ago. Can they continue that? And in particular, Kyle Larson, who's uh, the reigning champ after 10 wins last season. That, that'll be fun to see the follow-up there. Yeah, I was thinking in regards to Kurt, you know, in football terms, he's like a journeyman quarterback of some sorts, always winning where he goes, kind of like a Ryan Fitzpatrick of some sorts. Yeah, I mean, and maybe not as many teams, but you think about what Brett Favre was able to do in Green yeah. Bay and then Minnesota. You know, Peyton Manning uh, obviously winning all those years in Indianapolis, goes to Denver, wins another championship. Tom, Tom Brady, right? I mean, you know, the, the, the here and now, uh, a Hall of Famer for what he did in New England, but then makes the move to Tampa and enjoyed great success there. And, and you know, Kurt is a, a Hall of Famer, no doubt about that. But uh, I, I think in talking to him, Throughout the week and throughout the offseason, he's someone who's still very motivated to go out and, and win races and compete at the highest level. You mentioned the uh, Hendrick Power. Chase has been so good on restrictor plates and uh, Kyle Larson, the running champ. But Kyle, not his strength necessarily, Daytona, but he'll be on pole Sunday. You know what? Here's a, a stat that will blow you away, and, and I didn't know this until Larry McReynolds and I were talking here in Daytona this week. Kyle Larson. As great as he is, one of the most talented we've seen, maybe the best out there right now, has never had a top five finish at a super speedway, Daytona or Talladega. That never had a top five. It's crazy. Now, now keep in mind, he almost won the Daytona 500 in 2017, ran out of gas on, on the last lap, and, and Kurt Busch, of course, got the win. 
but but yeah, I, I think he is someone to watch. And based on what we saw last year, winning all the races, winning the championship, and then coming here, sitting on the pole for the Daytona 500, you just kind of expect he's going to go out and, and, and win the 500. And I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Yeah, he'll certainly be someone to watch. Uh, who are some of the guys you're looking at on Sunday? You always look to me at Joey Logano in these big races, and I think he's really good when it comes to super speedways, so I would keep an eye on him. You mentioned Chase Elliott. I think Chase Elliott's a player. Ryan Blaney has become one of the best at Daytona and Talladega. Uh, those would be guys that are on, on my short list. But, but really, um, it's anybody's guess uh, when you come to a race like this. The element of the unknown is, is great. We always have that at Daytona. I think the new car adds another layer to the element of the unknown. And, uh, you know, I haven't even mentioned, you know, Denny Hamlin's name. And, and you look at what Denny has done here. If Denny leads, I think it's 26 laps on Sunday, that would put him over 500 laps led in the Daytona 500. That's and insane. It is a crazy number. And uh, so, so Hamlin is always a, a guy that you feel like is going to be a threat and a player when you come to Daytona. Last year it was Michael McDowell pulling off the upset. Who's a guy, a guy or two you think that uh, – could surprise some people maybe this weekend. A couple of drivers that I think have speed and are tremendously hungry for success and, and I think showed really well, even though there's not much to equate from the L.A. Coliseum to what we'll see here on Sunday, but I, I think it shows they've got a handle on the new car, and that's the guys from Trackhouse, Ross Chastain and Daniel Suarez. I, and, and they've got that same power that the Hendrick guys do. And so those are a couple of guys I would keep an eye on. And, and I know it probably sounds crazy because he's a champion, and he's actually won here at Daytona in the summertime. But I feel like because of his new situation, he's an underdog. But I would keep my eye on Brad Keselowski. I, I just think that group has always had a history. You know, Ryan Newman nearly won this race a couple of years ago in the six car. So I, I think Brad is a little bit of a sleeper and would be someone that could go out and pull it off on Sunday. You'll be on the call for the Xfinity race. That race, historically speaking, has been just as exciting or one of the best races uh, of the Xfinity calendar. As it just, it, It's as good as it gets on the Xfinity side, too. It is, and, and I think what you add there is you have drivers that, that are young and they don't know what they don't know, and so maybe they're willing to take some chances and do some things that you don't always see on Sunday afternoon from veterans yeah. you know, who realize what's on the line and see the bigger picture. You know, the other thought I would have on that is that's a 300-mile race. You know, Sunday's 500. You have to pace yourself. At 300 miles, the sense of urgency goes up a little bit quicker, and, and so that has always helped make for a really good race on Saturday in the Xfinity race at Daytona. And, and I think we're going to have a great year. You know, you look at, at Noah Gregson and how he finished the season last year, and, and, and I know he's going to be a player. He's won at Daytona. A.J. Allmendinger is someone that I'd keep an eye on. And, and you have to talk about Daniel Hemrick, a, a guy that went 0 for 119. He finally wins. He's a champion, and, and now he comes here with a new team in Colleg, who's been really, really good at Daytona. So those, those are some of the guys I'll be watching for on Saturday. Yeah, that'll be certainly fun to watch. Uh, certainly looking forward to that. Busy uh, next couple days, I imagine, with you on TV. What's it look like uh, counting down to the race on Sunday? Xfinity practice on, on Friday and, and a lot of time in the garage with those Xfinity guys as you try to get a good look at the cars and, and meet some of the new faces and get familiar with all the competitors and where they'll be this year. Uh, we got practice uh, tomorrow, 
qualifying will be Saturday morning, and then we'll have the race on Saturday afternoon. Denny Hamlin, Chad Knauss in the booth, so I think we got some good things ahead. And uh, throughout the year, different analysts and such, and we'll see it on the cup side too. You guys uh, always flexible, it seems, making it make it a great time for whoever's involved. Mike Joyce stole my idea, you know that? No, I'm kidding. That was, it wasn't my idea, uh, and Mike and I don't have a lot of say in, in how those things work, but I, I think it will be fun to, you know, watch Tony Stewart. He was great at the Clash, and and I know eventually we'll get the, the full list of who's going to be in the cup booth throughout the year. Uh, I feel like we're going to have a heavy presence of Joey Logano, which I'm excited about. I'm a big Joey fan, and I think he does an excellent job in the TV booth. But, yes, a, a rotating cast of characters, and, and it'll be really entertaining. Adam, always a pleasure, and uh, good to see you here in Daytona. And certainly enjoy the call and uh, not be too hard on our guy David Starr this weekend. So. I love it. Yeah, David will be in, in the 08 driving for Bobby Dodder, and uh, hopefully he can – put himself in position to pull the upset on Saturday. But thank you, Tyler. We look forward to a great year, and it's always nice to be on the show with you. Well, it's been a minute since this guy's actually been on the Jones Report. We've had him on uh, a show that's uh, partnered with our our network, uh, Let's Go Racing, with David Starr. He's the star in that show, figuratively and uh, literally. And uh, he joins us right now live from Daytona. David, we talk every single week, but good to have you back on this show, too. Man, thanks for having me, Tyler. Man, it's uh, man the Jones Report. It's cool, man. Y'all got a great show, and uh, it's cool when we collaborate and let's go racing with David Starr, our racing show. And uh, man, we're here at Daytona kicking off our 2022 NASCAR season. A lot of excitement, dude. So I'm um, I'm glad you're here, and look forward to a great weekend of racing. So this audience more of a, a general sports audience. So tell those folks that might not be NASCAR fans, what's Daytona mean to you? Man, you know, it's it's like, hey, we just watched the Super Bowl last week. And, uh, you know, in, in auto racing and NASCAR racing, if there's one race you want to win, it's the Daytona 500 or the Daytona season kickoff, you know, for the NASCAR Xfinity Series race Saturday afternoon. If you're going to win a race, if there's one race you want to win, it's the Daytona race. So that that's what it means to everybody involved in our industry. And you are with a new team this year, a a return of sorts uh, to SS Greenlight. Tell us about what's going on with them and uh, partnering up with Ticket Smarter and Brett Pair. Man, SS Greenlight owned by a good friend of mine, Bobby Dodder, who was once a NASCAR driver. He had a great career himself, and uh, he owns a NASCAR Xfinity team. SS Greenlight Racing is called, and man, Bobby has aligned his, his organization. Now they're they turned into a Ford manufacturing team, and man, they uh, they have some fast Ford Mustangs, and uh, backed by Roush Yates uh, power underneath the hood. Got uh, engineering and technology, so man, we're looking forward to having a great race season. Having Brett Bear with the uh, Brett Bear from Fox News, uh, Brett Bear with Special Report, and Stan Ross's Digital Ally with with Ticket Smarter as as partners for the season. Dude, I'm, I'm so excited. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to, to getting out there and trying to get our Brett Bear Ticket Smarter Ford Mustang uh, to Victory Lane first. You know, David, I've known you a while now, and I can just tell there's a different hop in your step entering 2022 than maybe the last couple of years. You feeling a little more excited than you've been in a while? <laughs> 
Well, no doubt about it. You know, I, you know, I'm blessed. I got a lot of good. You know, we we, we know a lot of great people, and in our team, we got some good people. Matt Jennings, and uh, you know, other Dominic, uh, Dominic, or other guy on our podcast, and you know, uh, you know, it's all about having great sponsors, great partners, and to have Brett Bayer and Ticket Smarter step up and give us the funding that it takes to have a competitive race team. It's been a while, so I've had the kind of funding that we're going to have in 2022. So, dude, I'm so excited, and uh, to have the equipment and the opportunity to go out there and win races man it's just it's it's a blessing so with that opportunity daytona the great equalizer of sorts what's it going to take for you to run up front on saturday afternoon well you got to have the racing gods with you you know it's uh and like you said it's a great equalizer you're gonna go to talladega daytona you know you can have a car that's 20 horsepower down underneath the hood and still win the race so you know you just gotta it's a chess game you just gotta be smart and be there at the end nothing really matters till the last 10 laps you want to give your your team your sponsors your manufacturer you want to give everybody a chance if you're there with 10 laps to go then you give yourself a chance. If something happens with one lap or on the last lap, you end up wrecking or crashing, so be it. You gave yourself an opportunity. And over the years, Tyler, uh, you know, our lap, you know, it's a 300-mile race, and sometimes on lap 50 there's a big wreck, and you get taken out in it. You know, and you're like, man, I was only – I wasn't even halfway through the race yet. So, you know, we like to, to, to have a smart race – uh, and to be there at the end, if you can control that, and we're there at the end, it gives ourselves, it gives our team and everybody an opportunity to, to be in victory lane. So, uh, you know, we talk about that, but it's it's easier talked about than than done actually on the racetrack. But uh, that's what we want to do. We wanna, we want to have a great race, come out with a good finish, and if we can get to victory lane, that's what it's all about. So let me ask you about the cup side of things. Uh, we mentioned the energy that you have entering 2022. It seems like that as a whole this sport right now with the next gen car the coliseum race that was just a couple weeks ago that was a big success big audience of four million people watching and and the crowd that was out there at the coliseum a lot of excitement just in the nascar world entering 2022 and pack stands again and everything i mean there's there's something different about this year and 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 kyle larson coming off that championship run too seems like the sport's got a lot of momentum right now Man, it, man, absolutely. Everything you just said is, you know, our sport of NASCAR racing. I mean, years ago, six, seven years ago, you could come to a NASCAR racetrack anywhere in the country, and there's two out through that. 200,000 people in the stands, 180,000. And the, and the sport had a downturn over the years. Well, today, I mean, to kick off our season, 2022 NASCAR season, we got a next-gen brand-new race car. We got Michael Jordan as a team owner. We got we got uh, Emmett cool. we got Emmett Smith from the former Dallas Cowboy all time running back uh, partner up uh, being a NASCAR owner. We got Pitbull. I mean, it's in us. We got Brett Bear from Fox News coming into the sport. There's a lot of celebrities out there that want to be part of this awesome industry. So, man, there's a lot of excitement around that. And you look at the racing last year, the racing at every racetrack, we crowned a champion, Kyle Larson, but the racing was incredible. The fans in the stands that are showing up, the new sponsors coming into the sport, man, there's a lot of excitement in our industry. And, man, I just hope we we keep riding that momentum up. So what do you attribute that to? What would you say has attracted these New sponsors, new owners, the fans coming back, ratings up. What is NASCAR doing differently compared to what happened just a few years ago when it seemed like that everything hit a hit a wall of some sort? Well, Tyler, I think it's people like yourself, you know, the Jones Report <laughs> and, you know, the media. 
You know, our racing is, is you know, phenomenal. You know, the, all the all the, the beating and banging and the drama and the close racing and the different sponsors that are coming in and really the media, the television networks. Our, our sport is, I, I would say, it's worldwide now. People in other countries are tuned in to NASCAR racing, you know. And I, I just contribute to the, the product on the racetrack is unbelievable. The drivers, the personalities are great. The new, you know, Fortune 500 companies coming into the sport, new companies coming into the sport, super mega world now celebrities coming into the sport. I don't know. I, I think I just say the product, the racing's great. The media is great. The television network is great. And, man, we're just we're so fortunate and honored to be part of a, of a sport that has a lot of momentum. So this next-gen car everybody's talking about, uh, explain this to me like I'm five. <laughs> Tell me about what makes this car special and, and uh, what, what excites you about it when it makes its uh, official debut in the 500 on Sunday. Well, I, you know, I, I have to be honest with you, whether we're five or 10 or our real age, I, I don't know if I can explain it. You know, it's a, it's a new generation, brand new race car. The race cars that they raced last year in 2021, I don't think there's one piece that they use on the new next-gen car that we're going to debut here in the Daytona 500, the Daytona National Speedway on Sunday. Uh, but, you know, it's very, it's, it's over-the-top, technology-driven, a lot of engineering in it. One lug nut that bolts holds the the race wheel and tire on. You know, there's just there's not a transmission. There's not a four nine inch rear end. It's an independent rear suspension. Every every part of the car is independent. It's just completely different. And uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of excitement around it. The car looks cool. It sounds different. It's just a different beast of a race car altogether. So. Uh, to see, you know, I'm, I'm very interested to see how the race plays out Sunday for the Daytona 500 and see how this brand new race car, this next gen car is going to hold up for 500 miles. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's been a lot of testing going on, but actually it's first racing competition. I hope that wows the fans and everybody's on the edge of their seats. So we'll see. We just watched qualifying and those Hendrick cars <laughs> were the class of the field. I imagine those guys probably going to be the uh, the guys to beat on Sunday. Is that what you're thinking? No, no doubt about it. Cal Larson, our, our former champion, last year's champion, is on the pole. But you know, this next gen car, it does bring the the field together. You know, uh, the guys that aren't funded as well as their powerhouse teams, y'all buy the same parts and pieces. So that brings the field together, it makes the racing much closer. Uh, so I think there, there's so many positives about this new race car. But I, I'm just you know, but still your powerhouse teams, your Hendrick Motorsports, Roger Penske, you know, those types of teams, Joe Gibbs Racing, you know, they have the big mega sponsors and lots of lots of resources and engineering behind them. They're going to be the team that always, I think, at the end of these races be up top, you know what I mean? So it's going to be interesting how it plays out. And I know you are and I am and I know all the fans are, but it's going to be a great race, a great week of racing here. Yeah, I think so. Uh some of the other names, we mentioned Hendrick being the, the favorites, but who's the guy you think that could surprise? We had the ultimate Cinderella and Michael McDowell winning it last year. Man, it's 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 anybody's race, you know, and and me and you got me and you get the honor to watch the twin one twenty fives tomorrow, so it gives us an idea of how the cars are gonna race, you know. Whether you get fifteen laps on a set of tires, you start losing your fuel load, are they gonna be hard to drive? You know, is it it's gonna come down to a great handling race car and it's anybody's race. I mean the Cinderella story we had last year in the Daytona 500 to see Michael McDowell win his first race 
race of his career uh, in the biggest race of the season, the Daytona 500, was just a, a just a, a awesome story, you know. And I'm hoping that uh, Sunday's Daytona 500, there's just I know the excitement's going to be there. But it'd be kind of cool to see an underdog driver and team win the Daytona 500 again. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, now, if if you're somebody that doesn't watch NASCAR and you're thinking about watching the race Sunday, what would you tell uh, the the average person out there a reason why they should watch Sunday's race? Well, I, I you know, I, our sport, the racing's intense. And, uh, you know, especially at Daytona, a lot of beating and banging, a lot of drafting. And, you know, it comes down the last 50 laps. You need to be tuned into that, to the network, you know, watching it on television because I can assure you there's going to be lots of drama. It's probably going to be uh, some, some sparks flying, maybe some flames. But, man, when it comes down to winning the Daytona 500, man, these guys are beating and banging and pushing each other. It's intense, and I, I don't think the fans uh, – I don't. Th- I think they're going to get their money's worth. So if you've never seen a NASCAR race, you want to tune into the Daytona 500 because it's going to be something special. It's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, we're going to have some great coverage this weekend. Uh, we'll do our show, Let's Go Racing, after the dual races Thursday night, and then do it again on uh, Saturday after the Xfinity race. So a busy weekend for you, not only the racetrack, but doing our show as well. going to be a lot of fun. Oh, no doubt about it, man. I, I love you guys. You know, you and Dominic, you guys are – you know, the voice of our show, and we love our fans, and it's good to be able to talk about behind the scenes what's going on. I, I just I love our podcast. I think it's wonderful, and thank you to all our fans that tune in. But, uh, you know, it, it's kind of cool. So it kind of breaks up. Man, we're so focused on our race car and, and how the car is going to drive and our team and, you know, and be able to step away from that and talk about the industry, talk about our series, talk about our personal partners, talk about our podcasts, you know, it kind of kind of takes you out of that seriousness for a little bit. But, you know, hey, I love what we do. I know you guys do as well, and, and we love sharing it with our fans. Now, uh, last thing, we'll end on this. Uh, I got a big announcement coming this weekend. We won't say just yet, but a little hint out there, pretty exciting. You and I are about to be neighbors. Oh, man, I think it's a beautiful thing, man, to have, to have Tyler Jones, you know, uh, hanging out with us in Dallas, Texas. It's a, it's a great city, uh, a lot of great food, great places. It's just a wonderful city with a lot of great people, big sports city. And you get to hang out with Jennings and myself and, you know, all our other buddies. You know, I think you're really going to find a, a, it won't ever be home to you because home's where you're born and raised. But uh, it'll be like your second home. I think you'll love it. I will, too. I'm sure I'll fit right at home there in Dallas. We'll have more on that uh, in the coming days. Some exciting stuff ahead. David, best of luck this weekend uh, in the race on on Saturday. Certainly check that out. That's going to be on FS1 at about 2 o'clock Eastern time. So be uh, checking that out. And then, of course, our show, Let's Go Racing, will be live after the dual races on Thursday and then after the Xfinity race on Saturday as well. David, appreciate the time. Best of luck this weekend. We'll be talking again shortly. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Joining us now here on the Jones Report this week, pleased to be joined by the newest mayor of Nashville, <laughs> Tulsa Great, Big Al Jerkins. Big Al, good to see you in the flesh. Yeah, thanks good. for having me in Nashville. Yeah, thanks for uh, coming by and uh, getting in contact with me. Yeah, it's uh, the mayor. No, I don't want anything to do with politics, trust me. <laughs> Not even close, but it wouldn't be a bad town to run. This is uh, Nashville is really an awesome place. And, uh, you know, as we step out of the restaurant that we just had a sandwich, you can see Nissan Stadium over here, and that's where the proposed Major League Baseball ballpark is going to be if they can somehow finagle 
Tampa, the Tampa Bay Rays, which would be good for me because that means I'd be able to see the Yankees play a few more times and not have to go very far. <laughs> and uh, be one of the many Yankee fans, probably outnumbering uh, Ray fans, you know? Yeah, well, uh, Yankees' tr- spring training is in Tampa. That's true. And I think uh, their spring training games outdraw most of the Tampa Bay home <laughs> games during the regular <laughs> season. That's a truth. Yankees get about 15000 for their spring training games and. Tampa Bay, if they get a crowd of 15,000, they're doing jumping jacks. <laughs> You're not wrong. So tell me, uh, how's, uh, how's Nashville been treating you first off? Uh, you've been here a little while now, right? Yeah, well, my wife and I retired here after uh, I got done at uh, Channel 2 and the Sports Animal. I, we uh, went to Florida originally to retire, uh, but we have uh, family in Nashville and we kind of felt a little bit guilty going to Florida instead of coming to Nashville. And then, <laughs> so, well, at least that's what my wife said. She made me feel bad about moving to Florida instead. But no, kidding. Uh, but uh, so we came here. We've got grandkids here and all that other stuff. So it worked out for the best. That's great. And now uh, you're still doing radio in Tulsa from here, though. I am. Uh, you know, I, I read the Tulsa World every morning and keep in touch with Caden and uh, all my friends in, in Tulsa. And I do it from my man cave. Uh, they gave me the equipment to do it uh, via remote. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like I haven't kept up with all the uh, Oklahoma schools. I watch every OU and OSU game on television, and I watch TU games on my phone and ORU games on my phone. So it's, it's uh, in this day and age, it's not that hard to keep up with a team, even though you're 600, 700 miles away. <laughs> very true. Very true. Uh, so, uh you know, we'll dive into shop here in just a second, but uh, anything uh, you want to pass to the uh, folks back in Tulsa and such uh, that I'm sure they're they're all wondering, you know, check it in. And, right. uh, you know, doesn't seem like distance is too far, I imagine. No, I mean, I uh, my wife is from here originally, so that's another reason. But I used to make the drive from Tulsa. You know what? Nashville and Tulsa are not that far apart. Just look at the map. It's, uh, you know, it's it's one state over. You go through Arkansas, that could get a little tedious, uh, especially when you reach Toad Suck, Arkansas. It gets a little crowded, but uh, no, it's uh, I've made this drive so many times, and I get to Tulsa, you know, semi-frequently. Uh, I'll be there for the PGA Championship and all that other good stuff. So, And when there's things to uh, get accomplished business-wise, I, come, I still have a zillion friends in Tulsa, obviously, and uh, we always get together and have a good time. And uh, Nashville's just my settling down place uh, to keep the family happy, yes. <laughs> Speaking of the uh, PGA in Tulsa, uh, big deal. Southern Hills getting that bit, getting that back. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, that, they've been hoping for the longest time to get another U.S. Open. And they kept trying and trying and trying and trying. But this deal was hard to turn down because they got the senior PGA and then uh, – they got the, the PGA. They got two for the price of one, basically. And the fact that it's in May and not August is an absolute touchdown. Because I'm sure you're aware of how hot it gets in Tulsa, Oklahoma in August. Yes. So in May, it's a lot better. If you covered the PGA championships in the past at Southern Hills, uh, it was really tough. It was really hot. It was just too hot. Uh, but now it's, the timing of it is just absolutely perfect, and you couldn't ask for a better place to have it. Southern Hills is actually hilly. For a state that has very few hills, Southern Hills has most of them. Yeah, well, and I've been impressed just, you know, in the lead-up to this, 
the the staff of Southern Hills have done a phenomenal job promoting this. I mean, they're going right. to go all out. This is going to be a first-class event. Yeah, uh, Tulsa's always been knocked for not having enough hotel rooms. Well, I, I, I totally disagree with that. I thought that was an excuse to, for the U.S. Open to not bring it here uh, to Tulsa. Uh, but good, good for the PGA. I mean, it's not like uh, Tulsa's – this is new for – Southern Hills are new for the Tulsa residents. Uh, you know, we've had uh, the Tour Championship a couple of times. We've had the PGA Championship a couple of times. We've had the U.S. Amateur a couple of times. It's not like uh, this is a first thing, a new uh, new development for the folks in Tulsa. They know how to put on a really good uh, golf tournament or a professional tournament from that standpoint. I think, uh, I think they have the right parking. They have the right ideas. They have the right course. They have enough of uh, – I've always said this, and, and this is kind of off the wall, but I always said per capita, Tulsa has some of the best restaurants and places to eat than any city in the country. Now, I think both of us could probably <laughs> use a diet or two, but we like our food. Sure. And I think uh, it's hard to go wrong with any kind of food in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It may sound weird that a town of that – Size has really good places to eat, but they have unbelievable restaurants to eat. So when you're in Tulsa, where's the first place you're hitting up usually? Well, uh, geez, I don't want to leave anybody out here, but, um, you know, if you want to do the fast food, I've got to have a, uh, I've got to have a slice of NYC pizza. I've got to have a hamburger from Claude's. I've got to have a root beer from Weber's. Okay. And then I do the Mondo's thing a few times. Uh, but I know I'm just naming a few, but it, there's so there's so many different the Italian. You wouldn't believe how good the Italian restaurant McGill's is good. Yes, um, uh, it's just you name it, they got it. The Polo Grill, you can't go wrong. They have great steaks, great Italian food. It's uh, I love it. <laughs> so maybe Mayor Tulsa's in your future. Well, yeah, that'd be a good idea. Although uh, <laughs> again, I'm going to stay out of the political <laughs> realm. Oh, that's good. Uh, staying in Oklahoma, what did you uh, make of the events that have unfolded in this Oklahoma football program the last couple of months with Brent Venables coming in and and uh, Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams uh, departing for SC? You know, it's funny. I was in a grocery store about two days after Venables was hired. And this is the truth. So I'm in Nashville, Tennessee in a grocery store. And I go to the meat counter. And there's a guy there with an OU hat, hat on. And I just, you know, just like a nerd, I said, boomer. And he looked at me and said, sooner. <laughs> and I, I said, what do you think of the new coaching change? I love it. I love it. It's going to be awesome. This is going to be a blessing in disguise. And the more I thought about it, uh, you know, I... I they need a guy like Venables. Uh, they need defense, man. If they could tackle anybody, they'd be they'd have a couple of national championships. Yes, I agree. Riley was great in the quarterback department and all of that. But when you look at it, he wasn't so hot in the playoffs either. So Venables, at least, no, he's not from an SEC school. But he was at a team that beat SEC schools and recruited against SEC schools. So I think this is – I'm with him. I think it is a blessing in disguise. I, I, it sounds like I'm bagging on Riley, and maybe I am. But to me, I think this is a tremendous move. Trem- and the fact that they were proactive, not only from getting Bob Stoops to cover for that one month and then getting Venables back here and all that other stuff and, 
you know, he's hired these coaches that are used to SEC schedules. To me, I think it is a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I think you're right about that, uh, 100%. And, and uh, Levy leading the offense and such, uh, I, I wouldn't expect much drop-off there either. That I was impressed with the staff that, that uh, Venables put together. Well, I, I think it's the best of both worlds because you're keeping a guy like Cale Gundy who knows the area. Right. And, you know, you, you get a defensive-minded head coach and you get an offensive guy who – uh, look at his uh, work at, at Ole Miss, for crying out loud. It was pretty darn good. He's got uh, quarterback ties to the new one coming in and Gabriel. So I, uh, I anticipate good things, and I think that these moves may seem at the first a little bit drastic, but they're going to need people like this to compete in the SEC. I'm telling you. You're going to have to have guys that have SEC brains. It sounds maybe a little bit corny, but you have to think SEC to compete in the SEC. And I think I'm not, I don't think I have to uh, give you a, a definition of what I'm talking about there. It's a different animal, the SEC, than every other conference in the country, period. It just means more. Well, you, well <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a little, that's a little uh, conceited, I think, uh, to a certain degree. But, uh, you know, you've got to admit it that they are the best. From they top are. to bottom, they are the best. You just have to deal with it. And OU and Texas, they're going to go into that fire. And they've got to be wearing their fire suits and, and get it done. Speaking of fire suits, uh, last question was to rev it up here. I'm actually on a pit stop right now here in Nashville right. before I headed to Daytona. You're, you're quite the NASCAR fan yourself. You've been to a decent number of races. Well, I've been to Daytona. I've been to Talladega. I've been to Bristol. Uh, and I enjoyed every minute of every second of every sheet metal damage yeah, I just I love Bristol was something. It uh, now Daytona was great, and I'm glad I went. It was kind of like one of those uh, uh, book bu- uh, bucket list things. However, going to Bristol was just two hundred thousand people in a track. It's a, it was so loud and so noisy. Not only the crowd, but obviously the cars. The noise just didn't escape that place. Yeah. Uh, and if you ever have a chance to go to Bristol, you got to do it. It is, it is so unique and so it's wonderful. It's in the mountains. The, the track is built into the mountains. And it's, a, it's a hefty walk to get up to the grandstand, I'll tell you that. Yeah, and uh, you and Darrell Waltrip go a little ways well, back. <laughs> yeah, when I, I worked in Nashville in the early 80s, and he, I think he won three straight, uh, as, as they call them then, the Winston Cup yeah. points. Yeah. Uh, but he was he was a big wig around Nashville because he lived here, uh, and he was he was a big deal. But and NASCAR, uh, NASCAR would come to Nashville twice a year when I was here, at uh, at the small track. So um, yeah, that was I. That's how I started my NASCAR. But believe it or not, when I was working in Wisconsin, and we told I talk, told you this earlier. Oh, yeah, Dick Trickle. I was a Dick Trickle guy before he was famous. Because he used to run in the northern tracks in Wisconsin when I was working in Green Bay when I first started in this business. And the next thing you know, he's on the NASCAR circuit. Now, he didn't have a great NASCAR s- season, but he had name recognition. Right? One of the best names ever in uh, all sports. How could you go wrong with Dick Trickle? <laughs> but he would win all the races in Wisconsin. Yeah. He really, uh, and that's, he, he got a following there. Uh, 
and uh, they would have races during the spring and summer in Anago, Wisconsin, which is wasn't too far from from uh, Green Bay. But that's was that was his uh, he, that was his kingdom, Anago and Shawnee. Uh, those were the two big uh, towns in uh, in Wisconsin that had stock car racing. Dick Trickle was the king. That's awesome. Before we go, Al, uh, tell the folks about the uh, the show where they can find it there in uh, Tulsa. You guys are doing great things on 1170 now. Just launched not too long ago. Thank you. Yeah, 1170 The Blitz. Uh, Griffin Communications started a new sports show, uh, and they asked me if I'd be interested in being involved, and we got started the day after Labor Day. So, whoa, we've been on for about six months now, uh, and Sean Tiemann is my uh, co-host on our show. Jeremy Poplin's involved. Rick Corey has a show in the morning, uh, and uh, Dan Hawk is also there. And it's uh, so far so good. They haven't they haven't changed formats yet, and <laughs> I'm sure you know in the radio department. Oh, yeah. The next thing you know, overnight they could change it to gospel music or something. But they've uh, they've stayed with us. So um, yeah, I hope it works out. It's been good. Uh, I keep up helps me keep up with all the Oklahoma news, uh, and I don't miss a game. In this day of technology, you can just about watch anything or hear anything uh, from anywhere around the country. So. But I keep uh, it's good for me because I, I like to keep up and I still know a lot of people in the sports realm in Tulsa. So it's been great for me. The Gospels of Big Al Jerkins on each day from 11 to 1 on 1170 in Tulsa. Al, thanks for having me in Nashville. Great to see you. And, and uh, we'll be listening to the new show. All right. And have a safe trip to Daytona. And uh, who's your driver now? Who's so I work with David Starr. So, I you know, I have to by uh, obligation be rooting for david but you know i'll be rooting for ryan blaney and such and okay. we'll be having a great time all so. right my man enjoy enjoy don't get any speeding tickets <laughs> <laughs> no promises time for coach Bo's football fix presented by o'connor advisory group you can find o'connor advisory group online oagks.com o'connor advisory group.com you can also reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720 that's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today, you can also reach out to Bo by email, brian.o'connor at lpl.com. That's brian with a Y, dot O'Connor at lpl.com. You can also find O'Connor Advisory Group on Facebook and check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And Bo joins us right now. Bo, I am uh, sitting here and looking at the sunny beaches of Central Florida, and you're stuck in the snow in uh, in Kansas. Uh, I mean, I, I hate to brag, but uh, I, I feel for you. Well, you know, it's nice. I, you know, congrats that you're enjoying Daytona. You know, don't get any uh, don't get any diseases while you're there. Um, <laughs> it's very much a gift shop town. That's how I describe. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, you'll have fun down there. You know, here we're dealing with snow, and I, I somehow made it through the snow to the undisclosed location of the O'Connor Advisory Group Studios to make this uh make this happen today but uh you know i can live with it it's, it's okay I, I'll, I'll be able to enjoy some more weather soon so what's going on at oag this week besides hey, uh dealing with the snow we've got a couple of things going one we are in a big push with life insurance right now we are working with uh, the insurance partners in overland park we've been really happy with our relationship with them we've got over 75 carriers if you've got life insurance we can probably save you money if you don't have life insurance, we can help find you the right policy. We've got things for smokers, non-smokers, tobacco chewers. If you've had cancer, 
we can help you. If you've had some kind of medical situation in the past, we can help you. We want to be a part of that. We want to get involved and help you with that. So give us a shout. The other thing we're pushing, this is something that's just about to come out. We will not have access to this till after this broadcast comes out. It'll actually be next week. But we have a product that we've been working with for a while and a company we've worked with for a while is having an enhancement. It's going to give a 35% bonus to new investments. It is not right for everybody. I like to say this is for our never money. People, you want to leave money to your children, your grandchildren, something like that. We'd love to talk to you about how to maximize that strategy and doing it with 35% extra up front. That's great. Yeah. For more on that, go to O'Connor Advisory Group. Uh, you can check them out online, oagcast.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com for more information there. Bo, the Los Angeles Rams are Super Bowl champions after – defeating the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday. You and I were so high on this Rams team before this season even started. I think we were some of the most vocal supporters of Matt Stafford of what he could do, what he was going to do to elevate this team. And for me, it was a couple things, not only the way that the defensive line dominated the Bengals offensive line, that's kind of the easy take, but you look further into that of this game, Cooper Cup played so well. He was catching everything that was within his way. Matt Stafford, although he made mistakes, two interceptions, he made plays when he needed to in those opportune times. What stood out to you as far as uh, this win for the Rams goes? How did they pull it off? Well, uh, the, the defensive line, the second half, I, I thought the big thing was the defensive line played so much better for the Rams. Uh, the, the, the Bengals throughout the playoff run, as well as late in the season, had been a great adjustment team. They had really out-adjusted uh, their opponents, and they did a really poor job of that in this game. They didn't change their offensive line schemes at all. They didn't, you know, see when the, when the Rams started bringing three-by-ones and then doing a scheme off of it, and then they just got tired. They just got flat tired. I don't know that it's um, – I don't, I mean, Cooper Cup had a great game. Uh, he actually got that last possession, especially they're throwing everything to him. Um, I mean, it was just, there was kind of a, there was a the, the, the Bengals defense got tired. The Bengals defense played fantastic in that game. I haven't seen a team tackle so well as that team did for the first three and three quarter four uh, quarters. Uh, they even tackled great in the last possession. It just, they weren't able to stay in coverage. I think the difference in the game came down to the one player we thought it would come down to defensively for the Bengals, and that was Eli Apple. Uh, I said on my podcast that I thought he would have at least two penalties and probably give at least one touchdown because then he gave up the, the winning touchdown. Um, I thought it was a really great game, though. I thought – I'm going to get hell for saying this. I thought it was a better game than the Chiefs-Bills game. Yeah, it's not as exciting. Not as exciting because people like scoring. But that was a better football game because the defenses played well. It wasn't just score, 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 score. It wasn't six scores in five minutes. Every play meant something in that game. Yeah. Every play. And, and that you don't see often because we see so many scores in the high 30s or in the high, even the high 20s. Every single play meant something in that Super Bowl game. And I thought that was a better display of football 
than we have seen in the, for the Super Bowl in a while. You know, for me, too, looking at this game, I don't even feel like the team that was better coached won this game. I thought Zach Taylor outcoached Sean McVay. I, McVay made some mistakes, but his team overcame his mistakes that he, they won in spite of McVay. See, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think McVay outcoached Taylor, especially in the second half. I mean, I that offense was so vanilla when Odell went down. Yes. they the, well, that was, You lose one of your top guys like that, that's going to hurt. But then they came back and they were able to make plays when they needed to. Um, the, the, the pass rush was too much for the Bengals. And you knew that was the problem going in. And it looked like for the first half, they only had the one hit, one sack on Burrow at halftime. And it was like, well, wow, if they keep Burrow up for the second half, he doesn't get hit in one time. Bengals are going to run away this game. I thought the play calling from Taylor offensively was horrible. They didn't run a single screen pass. We talked about this on your podcast and on my podcast, that the Rams gave up more yardage and screen passes than every other team in the NFL this season. Not one screen pass from the Bengals. What would slow down that rush? Throwing screen passes. The teams that beat the Rams during this season screen pass the shit out of them. <laughs> and the Bengals didn't do it. And it isn't like they don't know how because they do. Right. Mixon's done it. Mixon's had a great season in that game. Um, I thought Chase played well. I thought Boyd played well. If you look at the last play of the game, I mean, it's, I don't know if you've seen this yet. It's only all 22. If Burrow has one more second and doesn't get sacked, the game's over because Chase has beaten Ramsey. He had a double moved him and was gone. He was seven yards past. Him. If Burrow just gets the ball out to him, it's 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 done. It's a touchdown. Um, but Donald makes a hell of a play. I thought the wrong guy won MVP as well. I thought Donald should have been MVP. Yeah, I thought he should have been too. Um, and um uh... I, I bet him at 12 to one. So I was also hoping for that just to, for personal sake too. But yeah, I was the one Ram I took was Beckham and boy, for the first half, I thought Beckham was going to win it towards ACL. And it, I was rooting for the Bengals. And when Beckham went down, I jumped out my chair and went, Oh no, no. Cause I mean, I'm an LSU guy. Beckham's an LSU guy. Right. I just don't want to see anybody get hurt like that at the Super Bowl at, at any time, but in the right. Super Bowl, on a non-contact injury. It's like, oh, man. So but let me ask you this. Unbelievable. Last thing on the game itself here. Um, officiating, for the most part, they let him play. But yes. there was some questionable you know, decisions. You know, that chase touchdown clearly was a misface mask. That yes. should have been called. Um, that should not have been a 75-yard touchdown. You know, that, that should have come back. Um, you go to that, that last drive for uh, the Rams there, the you know PI stuff. They hadn't been calling it. They'd let them play all game, and it was just, just a bad call and such. Obviously, you're going to have you – know, it's part of the game. You, you know, you're going to have you know, missed calls, bad calls from time to time. How much do you think officiating impacted this game with just those things we could think of right there? I thought there was two egregious penalties. Obviously, the face mask. I mean, look. I rooted for the Bengals too, but that was a fake. I mean, he that, that should have not been a touchdown. You know, it just that obviously he got the refs not in a position there. The official was not in a position to see it, and that sucks. But it is what it is. 
but then I thought just as egregious a call happened on the last possession for the Rams on the third down play when Cooper Cup, and they called the pass interference on the linebacker, he has had Cooper Cup locked down. He still hadn't touched it. Yeah. I mean, he didn't touch it. Mm-hmm. It was a horrible call. And refs were in position there. Yeah. Front and back. So that one I thought was egregious, and you could see it. Those were the two calls I thought were pretty bad. Um, but in the end, if you're the Bengals and you're in the red zone, you can't have two or three of those penalties because the team's going to catch in eventually. You can say that the one against Cup, I get it. That's the one I would have called too. It would have been fourth down and long. That makes the game a little different. But then there was two they called in the end zone, and they were both legit. Yeah. But the team's going to catch it eventually. You just you, In the NFL, someone's going to catch it. Let's talk about the futures of both these franchises, starting with the Rams here. We know the situation. They don't have – draft capital they sacrificed that to get what they wanted was a super bowl so that's a success but now going into the future without that draft capital we hear sean mcveigh contemplating possibly going to the broadcast booth and could make 10 million dollars or more potentially there aaron donald has talked about you know this might be the end for him although he did signal during the parade that he was looking to run it back you know odell is uh, you know older and then you know the ACL tear. Maybe he doesn't want to come back and such. Yeah. What's the future look like with the Rams? Is this a one and done thing, or do you think that we're going to still be hearing from the Rams in the next couple of years? I, I think the Rams have a shot at running this thing back. Now they'll have to keep Donald. They'll have to keep McVeigh. I think they both stay, at least for one season. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot heavy sentiment amongst those players to come together one more time. Because uh, if you want it once, it's hard to, to leave now. The one guy I do think is going to be gone is Andrew Whitworth. I think we, a big, big wit's gone. I think, I think that I, I saw a little cute thing with him and his family on the, on the, on the, on the grounds there at the stadium. And it just, he looked like it was, it's over for him. He's also 41, trying to play left tackle at 41. Uh, although he's done it at a high level his entire career. Um, I think they have to replace the left tackle. I think that I think there's a, ch- there's a better chance because of the injury. There's a better chance that Beckham stays with the Rams. He's a free agent, but no one's going to want to sign him right now with an injured with an injured knee. We we hear it's an ACL tear. It's been the reports, but nothing's been. We haven't heard that from Beckham. Um, but I think he's more likely to sign a small one year deal to stay with the Rams at this point than to. Uh, go than someone is to give him a four or five year contract somewhere else. So I can see them going back to that. They also get Robert Woods back as well. Um, they don't really lose anything. They have Matt Stafford for one more year on his contract. Yes, they don't have draft picks, but they can fill in some pieces and they're not in draft hell. They're in cap hell. That it would be it would be worrisome to me if they were like in a, you know, um, New Orleans Saints drafts uh, cap situation, not draft, the cap situation. But they're not. They're about $14 million over. Big Witt's going to get them out of that when he retires, which I, I'm pretty confident he will. Uh, that takes care of that piece. And you're going to have the increase in the cap, but they'll bump it into 20. They'll figure some things out there. Um, I think the team stays intact for the most part. There'll be some people who come and go, 
but the big names are all be there, I think. And, um, you know, I think they can, they can be patient with Beckham, but a lot of people couldn't be next season because Woods comes back from his injury and you can maybe bring in Beckham two thirds of the way through the season. Yeah. Cause you figure he's out now. I mean, he's an ACL tear. He's not going to be ready for what? Seven, eight months, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, okay. That puts him halfway through the season. Nobody really wants to sign that as a free agent, but the Rams would gladly pay him, you know, 5 million yeah. this year and bring him back for half a season. All right. How about the Bengals? Uh, Got to get some offensive linemen, right? But yeah, I think they're going to be. They're going to. I think they're going to target Taron Armstead um, to play left tackle. I think they're going to move the, the 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 injured left tackle they had all season. It's been moved. They'll move him to the right side. Um, the whole right side of the offensive line is getting replaced. The right center, the right guard, and the right tackle are both going to be gone. Um, I expect they're going to either go for Taron Armstead. Um, I also could see them looking at um, other big name tackles. Uh, don't look, I mean, Orlando Brown's going to be out there. I think he's likely to resign with the Chiefs, but if they can make that work, but um, he'll be out there possibly. And then the Bengals are going to hit the draft hard at the offensive line. I think offensive line and corner. I think they're going to have to find a replacement for Eli Apple. Um, the, the Bengals also have the third largest amount under the cap of all NFL teams. They got like 50 million they can spend and they're going to have to spend it. I expect them to get a couple of DBs, maybe another pass rusher and offensive line. And, and if they can do that, bring in a couple of veterans, um, it, especially at the offensive line and a veteran on the backside of the defense, they'll be dangerous. They'll be in the mix. They'll be in the mix with Kansas City and Buffalo and and those top teams in the AFC again. Well, and uh, Joe Burrow, I would think, is going to be one of the favorites to be the MVP next year, right? Right away. I would think so. I mean, I I think him, Mahomes, and Allen are going to be the. I think we're going to hear this for the next few years. You know, Mahomes, Allen, and and Burrow, uh, and 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 I'm one of those guys that thinks that Herbert's just a small level below. I think Lamar Jackson's there. I think we're kind of in this golden age of QBs in a way, and the AFC is loaded with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm very fascinated to see how that goes, and and uh, looking ahead to next year, kind of last thing, and then we'll we'll transition on. Um, you know, at, at, when you look at the league as a whole, you know the the, the odds are already out that have the Chiefs as the favorites again. But for you, I know that we're still waiting on free agency yeah. and trades and drafts. Who's got the edge heading into the offseason? If I was to look at a team, and I've looked briefly at, you know, who's losing who free agency-wise and whatnot, I think it's Buffalo, actually, if I had to pick one. I think they lose the least. I, I tell you my concern with the Chiefs. My concern with the Chiefs is this whole uh, – is Orlando Brown and Tyron Matthew. Mm-hmm. Who's coming back? Who's not? Yeah, uh, they got to figure that out, and they got to figure out an extension for Tyreek Hill. They can't do all three. Yeah, they might get away with two. They can't do all three. Right, and, and the Tyreek Hill one's the one you have to do. Yeah, and I, here's what I say about Tyreek Hill. I said this on my podcast on Monday. Um, I think Tyreek Hill wants to be a chief because his highest value is in that offense. Mm-hmm. There is no other offense he can go to. 
and have the same value. Right. And I right. think other teams know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is, and it's because of Mahomes' arm and their willingness in their offense to throw the ball deep. I mean, you could argue Josh Allen can do that, but they've already got Stephon Diggs. Yeah. So I, it does not, it wouldn't be a good fit there. Um, so that's the thing. I think that there's no other place. And for the Chiefs, that's kind of a it, – it's not a great thing. It's a player you definitely want to keep. But the problem is you're going to have to now pay him and probably more than he's actually worth to anybody else. So that's difficult. But right. I think the Chiefs have got to worry about – they've got to worry about those three players and what they're going to do in those three situations, Brown, Matthew, and Hill. I think the Hill thing gets done. I think Brown gets done, but I don't think Matthew does. And I think Matthew, he said he wants to stay in Kansas City, but I don't think the Chiefs are going to get it done. Speaking of the Chiefs, uh, Eric Bieniemy in the news, we know that he did not get a head coaching job this offseason with the nine job openings that were available. And there has been a report that's been pushed out, a website I had never heard of prior to Wednesday, and you know, rumors out there about the relationship between the enemy and Mahomes and Andy Reid and such. And you know, I'm not here to say what's true and what's not, Bo, you know, with all these rumors yeah. circulating. But here's what I can say is at the time that we're taping this on Thursday afternoon, nobody has come to the defense of Eric Bienemy, not Patrick Mahomes who actually just went and defended his wife on Twitter today. Um, Not Andy Reid, not the Chiefs organization. Everyone has kind of gone radio silent on this. And so, you know, I've always liked Eric Bieniemy. I I want him to be a head coach and such. But that's the red flag for me is not what's in this report, but the fact that no one from the organization has stepped up and said, Eric's a great guy, there's no problems here, that – And even if they say something later on, I was hoping to hear something by now. Yeah, I, I think it's telling, you know, I read this, you sent me that article, I read it. And um, I thought it was like, I sold you. I'm not going to pull punches. I thought it was a hit job on Eric B. And I I can't agree with all of it. I don't know the facts of what's going on at, at one arrowhead drive. I will say there's obviously some kind of dynamic that's not great between Patrick Mahomes, Eric Bieniemy, and Andy Reid. Now, what I'm guessing, I'll speculate here. You don't have to. I'll do it for you. I'm just going to speculate that Mahomes likes the draw the play up in the dirt, backyard, schoolboy bull, which has been my number one knock on the Chiefs offense all year. Um, It's not sustainable. It's why. I think Mahomes likes it because it does – his skills impact the, 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 the ability to do that. He can do that in a unique way that nobody else can leak in. Right. Get out of the pocket. You know, they make some plays, they do some things, especially him and Kelsey and some of the stuff they do. And that's good to have at times. But I think they get too cute with it. I've said that my number one knock. I've been pretty consistent that the whole season. Um, I think Andy Reid likes that because it is exciting, and he has what he thinks is the best quarterback in the league, and you could argue that he is the best quarterback in the league. And so he wants to keep his quarterback happy. I think Eric Bieniemy 
Again, I'm speculating here, but I think Eric Bieniemy is coming along as a coach in here saying, guys, we got to have something that we consistently do well. That if we are struggling, we can go back to. And they didn't have that last year. And they didn't have it through the entire season. And it, when it mattered, when they were up 18 points in that, in that game against the, against the Bengals, they were the gang who couldn't shoot straight all of a sudden. Mahomes throws two picks. And one of them, again, wasn't a interception. It was a tip ball that the guy made a great play on. But makes two turnovers. They couldn't run the ball consistently. Um, you know, there was some talk in that same article. They were saying, hey, um, uh, the enemy wanted to feature Clyde Edwards-Hilaire instead of McKinnon in the running position, running the ball, when it was Edwards-Hilaire who in those last couple of games had a better yards per carry. So, again, I think they had – I mean, I mean the, the OC was looking at the numbers and going, here's what we need for consistency. And then you have two sides, the other two saying, well, we like the bit, we like the boom play. And that's great. Now, in the end, you got a $400 million quarterback and a coach and, a, and, a, and an offensive coordinator making a million bucks a year. Who are you going to side with? It right. has to be the quarterback. Yeah, I don't like it strategy wise. Mm-hmm. I think in that if that's the argument, I think the enemy's right. But you got to understand the business piece of this. The four hundred million dollar quarterback gets his way. If there's an issue between Mahomes and the enemy, then Mahomes has to be the winner because he is the franchise man. He is the face of the franchise, the quarterback. And you have invested $400 million in the end for the next 10 years. And Eric Benemy has to take that, take that L. Now, I think it's a really poor job of Andy Reid. And I think that this article that we read, you, you sent it to me. I Number one thing I got away from it after the hit job piece was, where was Andy Reid to get these guys on the same page, to talk to them and say, hey, guys, we got to figure this shit out. If there's a problem with play calls, then why is if if the enemy is the play caller? That's what we saw in this article as well. Is that supposedly Which, is the actual play? I don't believe for I don't a believe for a minute. Did Eric I've Bien-Ami seen the Waffle call. House card. Andy Reid holds up. Yeah, he has the Waffle House menu in his hand. I mean, that's Andy Reid's call plays. The other argument about the whole Eric the enemy not getting a job these last couple of years is, and no one's ever been able to explain to me. And I've asked many people, I've asked you on this podcast before, what is it that Eric Bieniemy does well? Because the Chiefs never talk about it. They never talk about, well, he's great at scripting these plays. He's great at helping Mahomes. He's great at the run game. Now, that can be an indictment on Bieniemy. It could be that he really isn't that good. And that it is Mahomes and Mahomes magic making this all happen. And that he's just kind of, and that the enemy's kind of the hanger on. But we've never been told what the enemy's actually good at. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different ways to look at this. Um, as far as there obviously has to be a transition away from Eric the enemy at this point, it, it has to go one way or the other. So it has to either be that Eric Bieniemy has to leave the Chiefs. He has to leave and be a, go be an OC in college for a couple of years or go take a year off or whatever he wants to do. 
or the Chiefs have got to commit to him. And, and I, went as, I would go as far as to say they have to commit to him to make him the coach and wait and say, okay, there isn't a problem between Mahomes and the enemy. And Andy Reid's 67 years old almost. We've got to make some decisions here for the future. We like the enemy. We're going to make him the next head coach. Coaching waiting never works, though. It, you, people say that, but how many times has it actually been done? And if you could transition to it. Now, I, I don't think it would work in this case after reading what we've read and seeing that there probably is some issues between the quarterback and the OC here. I don't think in this case it would work now. I, I've changed my opinion here on this. I said it as early as this week on my podcast that I'd make him the, the – in that situation because it was consistency from one to the other. And eventually you got to replace Andy Reid. Um, but I think there's obviously an issue between Mahomes and B enemy or Reed and B enemy. Yeah. And I think that the, the chicken way of how we said to stop the chicken way of getting out of this was hoping that someone else is going to take the problem off your hands and hire B enemy. That hasn't happened. If, the organization, the Chiefs organization has gone quiet and radio silence on why Eric Bieniemy hasn't gotten a job somewhere else. That means they don't like him either. And they were hoping somebody else was going to solve their problem for him. Well, and the other thing that I look at too is, okay, so if Bieniemy is gone and you're replacing him, Mike Kafka, who everybody was so high on and was, you know, who this article reports as, being, you know, this mastermind wizard with all these plays and such, he's already taken a job as the Giants OC. Yeah. You know, I mean, I would think that, you know, if they liked, if they believed in Kafka, they would have said, you know, hey, when the season's up, you're going to be our next OC because Eric's going to get his contracts up. We expect him to get a job, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, Matt Nagy, you know, is a former Chiefs OC, but we saw how bad the offense was with the Bears. I want to touch Matt Nagy with a 10-foot pole right now. You know, I, I, are we positive that he knows a damn thing about football right now? I mean, like, I want to hire Matt Nagy. I don't think that there's a, a clear option to replace, uh, you know, Eric Enemy because the way Andy Reid does things is it's always guys he's – familiar with I, I don't expect him to go hire you know a big name college coordinator that's done down there because it's just not how Andy Reid operates yeah he's not doing Joe Brady or something like that right yeah. I I don't know what Andy Reid's going to do here he's got to do something and it, it's this is going to be very telling to what the Chiefs are and who they think they are moving forward mm-hmm how many handle this OC situation? I, I I do think there's a divorce here, and um, and Reed's getting the kids. In this case, he's gonna keep. He's gonna be reading Mahomes thing in there, and the enemy's gonna be gone somewhere. Um, you know, I heard that the same article point out that the New Orleans Saints were begged by the NFL to hire Eric Bieniemy. And look, I'll tell you right now, they weren't hiring Eric Bieniemy. That was a check the box. Yeah. There was an yeah, it was a Rooney Rule check the box interview because the the Saints wanted to keep Dennis Allen the entire time, right? And, and that's what I think they've run into with Eric Bieniemy. I think it's just been a bad timing piece. I think that he was more apt to get a job last year than this year, and it's because of the inconsistency of the offense this year. 
Yeah. And you can tell there has been some issues with that offense, whether that's the enemy and Mahomes or the enemy and Reed or Reed and Mahomes. I don't know what it is. You sit there and speculate, but there's obviously been offensive issues. Um, you know, it's funny the Chiefs got better when their defense started playing better. It takes a lot of stress off your offense, but I I think that this is going to be an important time. And I think that this is going to be an important decision if the Chiefs are going to remain a favorite in the in the AFC. Yeah, I think so. Last thing before we uh, wrap up here, I want to talk on the college side real quick. Auburn says they're standing by Brian Harson that he is going to remain their head coach. And Michigan gives Jim Harbaugh a new deal that's going to pay him $7 million annually. Um, with the Michigan thing, I, I have an idea, and I'm curious what you think of this. You know, he was flirting with that Minnesota Vikings job, and it didn't pan out. He didn't get it. Part of me thinks that he was getting back at Michigan for when they forced him to take that pay cut and humiliated him after what he went, you know, after that bad season, you know, made that real public of, uh, of you know, giving him that pay cut and such. And now he gets this pay raise, getting him back up to where he was and such. Um, to me, I, I felt like he was kind of getting back at Michigan of some sorts to get to, to make a point to get back that money that he was making earlier. Am I mistaken then? I, I, I thought the pay cut he took was voluntary because of the salary. He was giving that money to the salaries of the other people in the, the athletic department. He uh, gave – Was that uh, a bonus piece? So that was for making the playoff. Uh, okay. Okay. That, that's a whole other issue. Okay. That was, that's after, why I asked that question that way. I couldn't quite remember, and you you knew it better than I did there. Right. But um, after they had that disappointing year in the COVID-shortened year, they uh, gave him a, a, a new deal, but it was – he had to take a pay cut. Okay. Um, I don't think you're wrong. Uh, this is obviously – I think he used the Vikings to get an extension. Yes. This happens all the time. Right. He got he used it to get an extension and a raise. And this happens every time anyone has success at college. You know, everybody does the, hey, let's go talk to this people. Jimmy Sexton's an agent who does that for every coach in the SEC. Um, it's, how you get, it's how you get raises in college. You just you, – you have a great season. You win 10, 11, 12 games, whatever it is. That's great for your organization. And then you go talk to somebody and have a conversation – but the so fact that he, he hey, interviewed guys. for the Vikings job on signing yeah. day and all that stuff, I, I yeah. felt like this was, you know, taking a stab back at Michigan. Yeah. It was I don't know if this, you may be right. Um, I don't know that it was that uh, that calculated, but it was definitely a, I want my money back. Right. It was definitely a, I deserve a raise. I got to the playoff. Because he got to the playoff with a really, with, with not without a high powered offense. I mean, they right. like to run the ball. A quarterback is fine, but he's not great. Right. And, and now he knows he's going to have a little bit of a drop-off. He's going to lose those three defensive players. He's going to have two of them going to the first 10 picks probably. Um, you know, I, I think he knows he's going to have a small drop-off this year. And he's in there with Ohio State. So, I mean, you got to deal with that. And I mean, so I, I think it was obviously him trying to get a raise. And, yeah. and if the deal was sweet enough to go to the Vikings, well, then great. You go, but um, I, I think your your speculation isn't off. Okay, it was to get a raise for certain, and right. it was to get an extension. 
extensions also help in recruiting. Yeah. I mean, you know your coach is going to be there if he's got a five-year extension. You know he's there for the entire time you're there if you're a four-year player. Right. So, I mean, those are important in college. Yeah. Uh, the Harson deal, you surprised Auburn standing by him. It looks like they were trying to find, uh, in the words of Jeff Long, a hooker in the closet. Um, yeah. They... <laughs> but they, 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 there was no smoking gun, I guess. There was no hooker in the closet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised they tried. Um, I'm not even surprised they didn't find anything. I, I think you have to find – they would have had to have found something pretty damning and – I think what you heard, the things that were already out there, I think that was stuff that wasn't that damning when it was all said and done. Look, players don't like coaches sometimes. But players don't like hard-ass coaches. I mean, and if that's what you don't want to play with, then go transfer somewhere else. And he probably had – if he's a hard-ass coach, it's probably – probably coaches don't want to coach with him. And then there's the thing about, you know, his assistant. You know, if he's having – extramarital affair with his assistant. You know, that was one of the speculations. I'm not making this up. This is what I've heard, you know, but it was someone that was with him at a previous job and then came with him to Auburn. Yeah. Not only does that not matter, but that's between him and his wife, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So I, I just, I don't stay involved with those kind of things. So yeah. um, I, I'm, I'm not surprised Auburn tried. I'm not surprised they didn't find anything. And when they didn't find the smoking gun or the hooker in the closet, I like the way you put that. If they didn't find that, they're not paying 18 million to get rid of the guy. Yeah. I think they ride out this year. They ride out this year. If he doesn't win nine, 10 games, he's out. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't win 10, 12. I mean, it, and his buyout is going to be down, I'm sure, a lot more than what it would be. Yeah. Right. It's going to be 5 million less. I mean, they, you know, Auburn come up that money. They're Auburn. They got money. Yeah. <laughs> He's Coach Bo, the football fix here on the Jones Report, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group, OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com for more information there. Bo, what's coming up on the podcast? Uh, let's see. Uh, Ellen and I recorded last night. We talked. We didn't talk too much about Eric Bieniemy specifically, but we did talk a little bit about it. I got the article after we recorded. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff. We, were, we, we didn't review too much of the game already because I did – two hours on Monday on the game. We talked about the Super Bowl halftime show. No controversy. Just kind of had fun with it. Talk a little bit about the MLB lockouts, updates there. It seems like there are some progress being made, which is kind of cool. There's some progress. Um, we talk a lot of different sports, and we had some fun with a couple things. And we're, we're, we're doing a lot of sports talk, but then we're also doing some other stuff as well, which has been kind of cool. So. Check it out. Coach Bo Knows Podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Bo, have a great week. We'll uh, talk to you again on the other side. Thank you, Tyler. You have a great week. A couple more things before we wrap up today's show. Let's go ahead and get to our Big 12 basketball breakdown this week. And the Big 12 standings, uh, since we last talked to you, have certainly changed a lot in the last week. When we left you last week, Kansas had a half-game lead on Baylor in the Big 12 standings. And now Kansas has a game and a half lead on Texas Tech and Baylor both as KU's at 10 and 2, Tech and Baylor each at 9 and 4. And then Texas sitting back at 8 and 5, two and a half games back. And somehow K State has made its way to fifth in the Big 12 standings at 
Never count out Bruce Weber. <laughs> yeah, six and seven for the Cats. Um, so w- with that, uh, Kansas is in good shape. It would appear like that, you know, I, I would think barring some crazy injuries of some sorts, which could happen. You know, they've already lost uh, Remy Martin. You know, he's missed most of conference play at this point. But barring some you know, injury to like Ojai or – you know, or Christian Braun or something. I think this is now Kansas's Big 12 to lose. I'm at the point, it's a much different conversation we talked about last week. Last week, Tom, we were talking about, okay, Kansas and Baylor, Kansas probably has an edge, but it still could go either way. Now, a week later, with six games left, I would be shocked if Kansas not only doesn't win the Big 12, but if they don't win it outright. Yeah, I would be shocked too. And and now you mentioned that it's KU's to lose. I, I think they wrap it up pretty handily. This is not their first rodeo. This is not the first time they've been in this position to wrap it up. Uh, I I would be shocked if, if KU blew this. Uh, you know, with the game in the half, I I even if you drop one, still up a half game. Even if it, if it's to someone you drop it against, you know, I they'll be fine. Uh, you know, this will be they, what was it last? Do they, you know, they've they've not been obviously as hot, you know, as years past. What the 13 straight, you know, that'll be hard to replicate again. But you get this opportunity, uh, you seal the deal, and then you try to start your new run. Yeah, I mean, look back at last Saturday, okay? Baylor dominates against Texas, that was an impressive win. Kansas does not play well against Oklahoma and, you know, squeak that game out. They were leading by, you know, eight or nine points with two minutes to go, opened the door back. Oklahoma had a chance. They could have won this game still, but Kansas wins. You you then fast forward to the rest of this week. Kansas dominates against Oklahoma State on Valentine's night. You know, they called off the dogs. The score was closer than – what it really was. Kansas could have won this by 20 or more. No offense to your folks, Tom. Um, yeah, it is what it is. But, you know, in, in Baylor's case, you know, they, they go into Lubbock on Wednesday night. And, I mean, it's not a must-win game because, you know, they're they're going to be a good seed in the tournament even if they don't win the Big 12 and all that. So I, I don't like using that term, must-win. But it was a game that said, okay, if you're going to win this Big 12, if you're going to have a chance, you got to get these type of games done. And that's the difference between this Kansas team and maybe this Baylor or this Texas Tech team is that Baylor, it's February now. They're losing road games by 10 points. Um, Kansas, when they're not playing well like they were against Oklahoma, they're still finding ways to win here. That's the difference of why the Big 12 standings are the way they are, why Kansas has that game-and-a-half lead over Texas Tech and Baylor is when they're not playing well, they're still finding ways to win. Can't say the same thing about Texas Tech and Baylor. I mean, two weeks ago, Texas Tech got the blows, got the doors blown off against Oklahoma. We're not talking – we're not having that conversation about Kansas, you know, like, like we are with Tech and Baylor in that sense. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think they're shaping up, you know, I, I think this, you know, you mentioned uh, the must win thing and you, you didn't like to call it a must win. And 
you don't have to call it a must win. They'll still have, you know, a good, a good seed anyway, even if they drop it. But I, I think in a way, uh, when you gear up for the tournament, um, you know, like anybody going to the tournament is, uh, I, I think you want those wins, you know, in the grand scheme of things, when you're a KU, you're not chasing a big 12 championship. Sure. You are. That's a nice little side prize to win. If, but, but really you're, you know what KU is shooting for They're it's for a national title. Um, and so I, I think games like that, I think they, they prepare you, you know, and they get you ready. They get you mentally ready to go. You want to win those games because those are the type of games you're going to be playing come tournament time. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, looking ahead to it this weekend, Baylor takes on TCU. They're at home. Baylor should be fine. Um, Texas Tech and Texas, really good game in Austin coming up on Saturday. That one could go either way. But it's kind of like what you talked about, Tom, just a moment ago. Those games, it's not necessarily must win, but it feels that way that you need it for, okay, are we going to – are we legit? Are we going to make that – tournament run or not that's exactly what this texas tech texas game is for both these teams and it's a rivalry game we saw what happened uh, you know a week or two ago in what was one of the most exciting games of the year when chris beard made his return to lubbock and how hostile that was um i'm sure chris beard and texas want their revenge and not the fact that it's just texas tech but based on what happened just you know a week or two ago um I would be surprised if we see the wine and cheese crowd in Austin. I, I think that this is going to be a fun atmosphere on Saturday. I, I would be legitimately surprised if it's not. Yeah, I, I think so too. And and what day was the game, the, the previous game? The previous game between these two teams uh, that occurred was uh, back on uh, February 1st. So just a little over two weeks ago. I'm, I'm trying to think what day was that? That was a Tuesday. Right. This is the Saturday game. There's no way it's the wine and cheese crowd this time. Uh, the stakes are too high. And, and you're you, after the last one, you they're gonna show up. I'd be I would I would be just as shocked as you are if it if it turns out to be wine and cheese again. <laughs> K-State takes on Oklahoma State, Oklahoma taking on Iowa State, and uh, Kansas taking on West Virginia. We mentioned K-State. Sneaking up to fifth in the Big 12 standings. Literally sneaking up. Perfect term for this case. Um, same win total as Oklahoma. And we know that Oklahoma is still fighting to make the NCAA tournament. K-State, the tournament wasn't even on their radar two weeks ago here. Um, I'm still selling. I'm not buying in. I need to see more from Bruce Weber and company before I take this team as legit. But just looking at the standings, you have my attention. I'm not buying in on K-State, but you have my 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 eyes open on this K-State team now, Tom. And Bruce Weber's done it before. Um, I agree. My eyes are open. I'm I'm rooting for him in a way. You know, if, if my team can't make it, well, damn it, I'll wear purple and silver. Uh, <laughs> at least to, at least to get him in the tournament, right? Um, right. I'm excited to see. You know, I. Not that I'm a fan of Bruce Weber because I have talked to my trash uh, over the years on Bruce Weber, but I just want to see if he can do it again, All right? This team's right. not making the Elite Eight by any <laughs> means, but I would have probably said that about the last one. Right. Um, 
The the other team I, I want to spend some time talking about real quick is uh, is West Virginia. West Virginia is last in the Big Twelve standings at three and nine, and they're fourteen and eleven overall. Remember, they had a good non conference. They beat uh, you know a top fifteen team in the top at the time in UConn, and you know had their moments. They came into Big Twelve play with a record that was you know, pretty good. They only had what one or two losses in non-conference play, but have just hit a wall since they've entered league play. I mean, you look at the last couple of games, they lose to K-State. They, you know, got smacked by Oklahoma State. They did get a nice win against Iowa State by 16 points, but before that, losing to Texas Tech. You know, they've lost, what is it now, three out of their last four games. And this was a Texas, a West Virginia team that, you know, Bob Huggins built this roster a couple years ago, you know, building up towards this year around Oscar Shibway. That was the plan for West Virginia was to build around Shibway and for this team to potentially make a run. You know, they have good players, you know, Sherman's averaging close to 19 points a night, you know, McNeil's been good at 13 points, but when you watch this team, what's missing is, Oh yeah, this team thought they were going to have Oscar Shibway. And that's the problem with, you know, I like Huggy Bear. You know, he's done a great job at West Virginia, and he's one of the best coaches in this conference and probably a future Hall of Famer. But Huggy Bear has not kept up with the transfer portal. Yes, losing Shibway was a disappointment, but he's had time. He should have been able to find other guys to replace him. They're 14 and 11, and that's a disappointment. Considering what they were at earlier this year, the way that they were playing, Maybe they did get exposed to an extent when they did get into conference play, but I expected more out of West Virginia. Uh, if it's if it's a roster issue, um, it sucks. That's the nature of the beast. You lose guys, but you got to go get guys. I put that all on Huggy Bear right now, Tom. Yeah, they they had looked good, and then they you know they lost Oklahoma State not too long ago. Uh, you know they lose games down the stretch, and and. You know, I felt like, and, and maybe probably West Virginia fans could probably say this better than I could, but I, I feel like maybe the season, maybe, I don't know, at this point, is the season a loss? I mean, you have all these hopes. You look good. You played solid for a while, and then you just, honestly, to be blatant, blunt with you, they shit the bed. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Uh, that's putting it bluntly. but Not, not Huggy Bear's best. No, definitely not. Uh, not especially – for a guy that wants to be a Hall of Fame coach. Now, according to uh, Joe Lenardi, and now this is the annoying point in the year with Lenardi, isn't it, Tom? You know, I mean, you try to watch a game on ESPN, and all of a sudden Lenardi comes out of his rabbit hole and, like, you know, get that jackass out of here. I mean, like, my gosh. Um, you know, I, I get tired of seeing Lenardi, but this is his time of year now. And according to Lenardi, there would be seven Big 12 teams in the tournament at this point in time if the uh, tournament were to start today and, you know, on the outside looking in, you know, those, those teams that barely get it, Oklahoma ends up edging out an 11 seed. They find their way in. Um, Jones, real quick. Did you see where they put, if they were eligible, Oklahoma state would be the last four in. Really? That hurts. Uh, I thought, come on now. Don't put that in there. Iowa State um, is right now one of the last four in. Um, Kansas State is one of the uh, last 
eight left out at this point here. I mean, um, literally the only team that's that we're talking about of, of not in this mix of sorts is Oklahoma State because they're not eligible. I mean, it is uh, wild here. I mean, it's it's going to go back to what we've talked about since the beginning of this season was there are a lot of good teams in this league, but I just don't know if there's enough wins or, to go around to get as many teams as you want in this tournament. You have talented teams, but a limited number of wins. And Oklahoma State, who's a very good team, who you mentioned, Tom, would – be in the tournament if it started, you know, if if they were eligible and if it started today, essentially they play as like a decoy. What Oklahoma State's doing in a league where everybody's fighting for wins, you have good teams and not enough wins to go around, Oklahoma State's going to play spoiler to somebody. They're probably, I, I hate to say it this way, but Oklahoma State's probably going to cost somebody a tournament spot here. <laughs> right, you know, and I'll, you know, as an OSU fan, I'll play villain. Uh, you know, I that's the I mean, thing about my deserves book. a lot of credit. They're putting out hard effort. These guys aren't mailing it in. Right. And they could easily mail it in too. Right. I mean, listen, I don't play for Mike Boyden and I'm obviously not, you know, I'm not the most disciplined person. Um, but you know, if I'm them, I'm probably mailing it in, you know, what else, you know, at the beginning of the season, sure. It's fun. Uh, you know, the season started, ha-ha, we're playing basketball, we're, the crowd's amping us up, we got all this stuff going on, we're the big man on campus, now the football's over. Sure, it's all, you know, flowers and daisies at the beginning, even though you know you can't make the tournament. But when all these shows are talking about, okay, who's getting in the dance, the last four in, last four out, on the bubble, watching the selection show, you know, that's coming up. March is, you know, what, 11 days away. Yeah, you would think, you know, they'd know all this and they think, well, the season's pretty much over. And even if we were undefeated, we still wouldn't get in the tournament. Right. Uh, I, you know, credit to Mike Boyden there because they're not mailing it in. But if I was a player on that team, I'd have mailed it in a long time ago, if I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm packing the shit and I'm going to Cancun type <laughs> situation. Cancun or. Eating, eating plenty of Eskimo Jones. One of the right. So, of that bracketology, real quick, we'll go over those numbers here. Um, if the tournament started today, according to Lenar, Baylor and Kansas each would be two seeds. Tech would be a three seed. Texas would be a five. TCU would be a nine. And Oklahoma and Iowa State would each be 11 seeds. Um, I don't disagree with that. You know, I mean, uh, I think. You know, Texas at five is is the one that I find the most interesting because they have the talent. They can put it together. Texas could go on a run, and I think they could elevate themselves to a three. They could also, you know, we've seen Texas not play great either. They could fall to maybe even the eight line here. To me, they're the ones that have the most potential for movement. Baylor and Kansas could certainly jump up to ones, maybe threes uh, at the worst. Tech feels right at a three. Um, you know, I, I, that's that's one thing. Uh, Lenardi, uh, there's a reason why he, he does this. I, I don't have any disagreement. I actually feel that that feels about right for these teams. Here. Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, usually with how they need them, you know, they say, well, this team should be higher. This team should be lower. I think that projection, you know, right now, you know, you said six games still left to play and, 
not to mention what else will happen with with the rest of the teams in the, around the nation. Uh, right now, I think that's a pretty solid prediction. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Before we wrap up today's show, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week. Tom, you know, I'm in Florida right now, and we very well could easily do uh, a number of Florida man stories. I could just open up the newspaper and probably find something. But instead, where are we going to go to this time? Jones, you've been here. I've been here. A lot of people have been here. We're going to the place you go to for wings. We're going to Hooters. I love Hooters. I go for the food, right? You have to, right? That's the that's the only reason anybody ever goes to Hooters, uh, right? Greenhouse, <laughs> uh, I'm being told uh, people here in uh, Daytona go to a place called Wing House. Wing House, see that? Do they have that, the views like Hooters does, though. Oh yeah. Oh, they do too. There you go. Well, I'm going to need a report from both of y'all uh, on, on the wing. Um, take Jones and make him do a food review of the wings or something. Okay. Jones, we're going to go. We're going. I almost said we're going to Wing House. Damn, I want to go to Wing House now, right? I'm like, okay, I got you. Know, let me get another round trip or a one way flight and I'll see you guys tomorrow, right? Something like Perfect. that. I wish. This is, uh, this was out two days ago. And this comes from New York Post and uh, kind of uh, some, I guess, found out from TikTok. But this article is titled Hooters Worker Reveals the Staff Pay for $5 Uniform Tights and a Bathroom Vending Machine. Hooters uniforms have previously come under fire for being too short and too skimpy. But now the infamous Wings and Women establishment is sparking outrage yet again. TikTok user Kenz G, that's K-E-N-Z-J-E-E for you TikTok users, I'm not one, a Hooters employee, uh, revealed how she and fellow staffers are obligated to buy their tights, the tights worn underneath the, those iconic orange uniform shorts. In a now viral video viewed over 4.7 million times on TikTok, I'm sure it's more than that now. The waitress divulged details about the pantyhose vending machine employees used. So people always ask about the tights and the tights machine that we have, and I have to buy tights today, so I guess I'll just make a video about it, she said. The clip then shows a shot of a large white tights dispenser with the PV Hoosiery logo in the restaurant's bathroom. She inserted a crisp $5 bill into the machine and pushed a button that read Suntan B which indicated the length of the stocking she wanted to wear. She described in the comments why the machine had different buttons, suntan B, suntan C, suntan D, noting that B is the shortest and D is the longest. Okay. And lo and behold, a little pink box quickly dropped from the dispenser. Ken's G co-worker can be heard in the background stating not them being $5. The post has reached out to Hooters for comment. Although the TikTok video went viral, some were confused over why the company would make employees pay for their own uniforms. One asked in the comment section, why do you have to pay for them if it's part of the uniform? Because in my opinion, the boss should provide them for free. Yes. Right. Yeah, I agree. It's a company uniform. Company should pay for it. Making money from your employees is bad business, added another. Kins G responded and explained why they have to sell tights to a third-party company because tights are considered undergarments, so they can't provide them for us. You know, if they're required to wear those specific garments, Jones, as a side comment here, if they're required a certain brand or a certain color or a certain one, 
and they have the vending machine in there and you can't buy them from, I don't know, maybe anywhere else, uh, then I think that they should provide them. Yeah. Um, you know, that is not the case. So they did the research for us. Online, the third-party supplier seen in the restroom, PV Hosiery, charges eight forty-nine a pair for suntan, the suntan tights. Another pantyhose purveyor, it goes by the name Tamara, claims to sell Hooters-specific tights for three seventy-nine or three ninety-nine each. It's not the first time Hooters workers divulge the company's dirty secrets. In December, a waitress who worked at the restaurant revealed the creepiest remarks she and her colleagues have heard from dining patrons. I'm going to read that here in a second, too. Um, in a response to a guest who asked, are you on the <laughs> Are you on the menu? The waitress told Insider at the time <laughs> that she just fake laughed to ease the tension. One eye rolling, inducing comments she regularly hears on the job. Why aren't you smiling? Their waitress, who is a black woman and chose to remain anonymous, said that she often gets a comment, I like me some hot chocolate. Dear nice. God, I love me a dark, feist, a nice, dark, feisty girl fetishy phrases. I'll get those sometimes, she added. The internet was also outraged in October when new crotch string uniforms were considered, but then scrapped and again in January when one waitress complained about small tips. Uh, Jones, you know, I in, in that in that case, you you're not forced to work at Hooters, so that's the devil's advocate side of this. You don't have to work there, right? You can go to Wing House and work, where I'm sure they don't pay for their shit. Uh, you can go to Twin Peaks. Um, I don't know. I don't know where else is a woman establishment like that. I don't even know if Twin Peaks is like a big national chain or not. I, yeah. I know both sides got shut down. You know, at this point, I, I do agree with them in, on the fact that they shouldn't have to pay for those. No. Uh, and especially if you can find them for $3.99 paying a dollar, uh, then I don't agree with that at all. But I mean, at the same time, you choose to work there. It's not like you can't go get a job anywhere else doing waiting tables. Right. Well, what I don't understand is like, okay, you know, Hooters, you know, we, we all know why people go there, obviously, but... I don't think I've known anyone that said, man, you know, I'm really glad that waitress was wearing tights. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's nothing that says that, that that needs to happen anyway. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they want to wear shorts or pants, whatever, who cares? I mean, yeah, that's what I'm, yeah. And so are they making off those vending machines? You know, who's putting the vending machines in anyway? Do they, I, I mean, is there another place that they can buy them from? How often are they buying them? How is it like uh, once a month, once a week? You know, I don't, I don't know because I've never been in the Hooters staff bathroom to see this. Um, it's probably been, I don't know, it's probably been like six, seven years since I've been in the Hooters. Um, but, yeah, I, I just don't get why they would buy them. Like, you know, like, are they... Are they supposed to only use suntan beak and they get them from anywhere else? What if the vending machine's out? Do they just say the hell with it and go, you know, tightless? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like I need more answers. We need uh, an IT investigation on this. Yeah, we need like an inside. We need like an insider on this um, to go in and 
maybe I'll go apply for a job at Hooters as a cook and I'll find I'll find the inside scoop like a Channel Five News type situation. And uh, do you remember that show, Undercover Boss? Oh, it was one of the best shows ever. I think my favorite episode ever was the Hooters episode, and it was so eye-opening. I don't know if I ever saw the Hooters one. Oh, he ripped that manager a new one. Yeah, I mean, the the managers uh, got an earful. We'll put it that way. I'm sure that they, you know, I've been in, I, I've only, well, I guess I've grown up and when I was younger, when I was working at Quick Trip, I also worked at a local place in Bartlesville. And the stuff that you see going on in the kitchens and behind the scenes, yeah, it, um, you know, is the kitchen in a local place or just the kitchen in general at a restaurant is a wild place to be. If you come from a sheltered house at all, you will see some wild shit in a restaurant kitchen. Uh, that will that will honestly change your probably change your life. Um, and so I can only imagine what the undercover boss would see or just anything behind the scenes. But they didn't, you know, on that if you can recall, they didn't mention the the pantyhose dispenser. Okay. Okay. Did they? They didn't. Um, I, I don't remember. It's been so long ago since I, I watched it. I, I might have to go back and watch it again to get a little refresher of sorts. But you know, the, I still remember Tom the first time I ever went into a Hooters. Um, you mentioned about being sheltered. I, I never got to go to Hooters as a kid. I always wanted to, um, <laughs> but uh, when I was eighteen, I was uh, I was covering the NASCAR race at Kansas Speedway. And I went to the Hooters across the street at the track after the race. And the food was good. And uh, I remember I even gave the waitress my number. She never called, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time to go back and, and try to find her again, Jones. Right? You, I, wonder, I wonder if you're on the article of weird things. I, I'm sure I'm not the first one to ever leave a phone number on a receipt. No, you would. I, I, if they got a hundred dollar bill for every time that they got a phone number left on receipt, they probably wouldn't need to work at Hooters anymore. I even left my business card. I think. Did you leave the number for the mobile offices of Tyler Jones? It was on there. I wonder what she <laughs> did with that thing. If she just threw it away or what? I don't know who else is listening. You got to tell them the you have reached the mobile offices of Tyler Jones. Oh, that was when I had a voicemail. Now I don't even have my voicemail inbox set up. Right now, I don't even know who we're reaching. I don't know if it's the mobile offices of Tyler Jones, or I don't know if it's Hooters. Right. <laughs> How many voicemails am I missing by not even like setting up a voicemail inbox? Not many. Right. <laughs> you see that that waitress from Hooters could have called, and you never know. Right. Yeah. Maybe. Um, what could have been, you know, who knows where we'd be at right now. It would be a time, wouldn't it? I mean, I think that's, I think you go, I think you go set up your inbox or your, your voicemail. And I think y'all need to take a trip to wing house. <laughs> Love at first fried pickles. That does sound good. It's been a while since I've had fried pickles too. You guys. You guys are going to have a hell of a time in Daytona this week, and I, I won't be shocked at the uh, 
what the line would be in times you would go to a wing house or a Hooters. You know, there's a Hooters across the street from uh, the Speedway. Too. Yeah, wing house is just down the street. Okay, so we got a couple options: wing house, Hooters. We'll, we'll see, make our way around. I think you go to. I think you go to both. Yeah. You know, one on one well. day, one on the other, and then you report back. One, one bite, everyone knows the rules. <laughs> All right, one taste, baby. <laughs> on that note, we will get out of here and uh, wrap up today's edition of the Jones Report. Big thanks to our all-star lineup of guests that have been here today. David Starr, Adam Alexander, uh, Big Al Jerkins for joining us. A lot of fun. Also, Coach Bo for stopping by. Big week here in the Studio Soapbox Network. Not only this show, but uh, Thursday night after the duels, we'll have the uh, Let's Go Racing uh, live show, which will be live streamed on Facebook. Go to my page, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, or the uh, Let's Go Racing Facebook page, and you can watch the show live. It's going on. We're also going to do another live show on Saturday. So make sure to watch those, share them with your friends. We'd love to hear from you as uh, we have some special guests lined up that uh, we'll be bringing to you there. So look forward to that coming up on uh, Thursday and Saturday. And uh, we'll be doing coverage, of course, on social media. I'm on Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, uh, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live as well. And uh, we'll be having you covered all weekend long. Thomas, of course, you can follow him at Thomas underscore Bridges on Twitter, Insta Thomas on Instagram, and uh, Jones underscore Report on Instagram, Studio Soapbox on uh, Facebook, and Studio underscore Soapbox on Twitter. Uh, make sure to follow all those accounts. Check out the Studio Soapbox Network. Uh, this show, Let's Go Racing, uh, you know, Raw Tools with Luke Slaybaugh. He's got a great show this week. Coach Bo's got a great show. The Bevo Boys, uh, all those uh, certainly check out. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all, and uh, we'll hear from you next week. And uh, I'm still going to be on the road next week, actually. So uh, we'll be uh, making a stop in Atlanta and then actually going back to Nashville. So uh, life on the road the last couple of weeks, a lot of fun. And uh, we have some exciting announcements coming up over the next couple of days. Tom knows what's going on. And uh, Tom, we won't spoil it yet, but uh, uh, it, it will be news regarding this show and the life around it. Uh, we're, uh, we're about to pick up our, our bags a bit, and it's going to be a lot of fun, this, uh, this next chapter. I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think that's a good way to put it, right? Next chapter, and you're got to got to get you one of those uh, my next chapter uh, memes. Sure, I'll, I'll I'll make one of those up, and we'll put your face over KD's. Tyler <laughs> Jones, my next chapter, and it'll just be a picture of you with wing sauce on your face outside of Hooters. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm joining Hooters. That's the big news. It's big announcement. That's the news, guys. I'm not joining the Golden State Warriors. I'm joining Hooters. Yes. He's opening his because own franchise. Because we believe in equality around here. There you go. Yes. So there you have it. That's the way that we end the show this week from Daytona. Uh, big thanks to all our guests that joined us and uh, you, the listener, for stopping by as well. We'll see you right back here on the Jones Report next week for Thomas Bridges and our entire crew. I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks so long.